Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You guys ready? Watch it. We've been to some of the most chaotic, war-torn places in the world, but never for something as bizarre as this. Here we are. Welcome to Eden Parish. You guys built all this? Father had a vision, and we built heaven here on Earth. Who is Father? He's the guy that started all of this. Can we speak with him at some point? He agreed to sit for an interview tonight at the gathering. It's been pretty amazing. Everyone we've talked to seems to feel that this is everything they ever wanted, and they all credit you for that. Oh, I don't deserve the credit. You come down here, and I'll give you a place to live. I'll give you a job. I'll give you a bed. These people are my family, my children. When Hi, welcome to Horror versus Reality. As always, I'm your host, Anastasia. Morgan, my co-pilot, is with me as per usual. Hello, Morgan. Hello. And today's guest is the host of Let's Talk Horror, VP or Brett, whichever you prefer. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> How nice are you? Nice to meet you. Yeah, it's Excellent. Nice, <laughs> nice to speak to somebody that isn't sitting down talking to myself all day. <laughs> yeah, totally. I feel that, absolutely. I mean, I'm here with my partner most of the time, but <laughs> it is always nice to talk to new people. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, today's episode is The Sacrament from 2013 versus The Jonestown Massacre. Now, it cannot be understated how big of a tragedy this was, and also just how big of a story this is of the true crime community. It's, you know, fucking King Kong right there along, you know, like we just did Ted Bundy, so that was Godzilla. Now we're doing King Kong. You know what I mean? These are huge, like, yeah, they're huge, really well-known cases that everyone has done about a thousand times. And normally that's not what we go for, but in the interest of following movies that are good, we cover whatever they're based on, so... Here we are with the Jonestown Massacre. Are we going to tell you anything that you haven't heard before? Probably not probably on the not. <laughs> probably not on the true crime end. I mean, me. I mean, I, I, I will, you know, probably won't know half of it. So you, I'll be learning. Excellent. And your genuine responses are appreciated, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I actually just rewatched this literally right before we started recording. I finished it, like, 30 minutes ago. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah, I watched it, like, a couple of times, uh, just preparing for this, because I love the film so much. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to watch it once for joy and once for research. Oh, excellent. I mean, I think you probably enjoy this film the most out of the three of us. Yeah, pro- yeah, most probably, yeah, as the film, yeah. 
yeah um, yeah it's, it's a big one for me yeah all right i love ty west but i'm very this this is I, I don't dislike this movie it's just i don't know i guess for me the apex of his career was definitely house of the devil and i just and feel and then I he feel, went down from there I've, yeah, I kind of feel like he hasn't quite recaptured that magic again. But I look forward to this new movie that he's got coming out. X. But, yeah, X. Uh, so let's talk about West for a bit. Because I always, you know, as the audience knows, I always talk about the director and the cast and go into a bit of their backgrounds before I give a summary of the film and then do fun facts about the film. So let's talk about Ty West. He is a director and occasional actor, primarily known for his work within the horror genre. West primarily acts within his own films or his friend and frequent collaborator, Joe Swanberg's films. He actually hasn't directed that many films, so I can list his entire directorial filmography for you as far as... It won't take long, exactly. <laughs> His films include The Roost, Trigger Man, House of the Devil, which BP and I have discussed on IG is definitely most people's favorites of Ties. Certainly my favorite of Ties. Plus it has Greta Gerwig in it, which you can never go wrong with. <laughs> uh, absolutely. She's great. So uh, he also directed Cabin Fever 2, Spring Fever, which... Awesome. <laughs> yeah, which, despite Ty's best efforts, is not as good as Eli Roth's uh, directorial uh, directed original. Pancakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I completely forgot about that movie. Literally, right. Every time I forget about it, and then I think about it, it makes me remember like sort of how how good it is. But then like then the pancake key pops up, and I'm like, this is just such a gem. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, he also directed The Innkeepers, which is by far my least favorite of all his movies. I, I know that might be a hot take to some people, but that is how I feel about it. I went in with a lot of expectations when I saw it. I saw it like pretty much when it came out, and I was so bored <laughs> for most of the movie. I can see why people sort of disliked it. But then also part of me doesn't know whether that's because they expected so much more in the lines of sort of House of the Devil or that that level of, of sort of directing. And, you know, it was a completely different level to what sort of Innkeepers is. But then I think there's so much good in the Innkeepers, but I won't go into too much about it. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I won't go into it, but I also don't care for the ending that much. No, the ending is awful. Right? Okay. At least, yeah. at least you're on the we same agree. page me there (laughs) all right so he's also known for directing in the valley of violence obviously the sacrament he directed the second honeymoon segment of vhs and the m is for miscarriage segment of the abcs of death that's actually a really good little short film right there m is for miscarriage it's dark and twisted and i kind of love it 
if you guys haven't seen it later on. I, I, yeah, I don't think I have, but I mean, I will. Give as it a Google. Ty West, as it's Ty West, <laughs> I will watch anything he will do. Excellent. Even Cabin Fever 2. <laughs> I mean, I have too. I've watched every movie he's ever done. Yeah. In television, West has directed episodes for shows such as Wayward Pines, Scream, The Exorcist, Tales from the Loop, and Them. In 2015, West was inducted into the Fangoria Hall of Fame, which is sweet and i don't know i feel like maybe that's kind of soon i mean (laughs) i mean i I mean don't get me wrong i love i love his movies for the most part but yeah i don't i feel like maybe that's a little soon but i'm I'm wondering whether they took that off so i don't know if you had the same in in america but in the uk like it's always like a running joke with me and a friend of mine because um so on the back cover of house of devil bearing in mind that that was his like sort of first sort of bigger film um, yeah. On the back of that, the first line of it says, from the master of horror, <laughs> Ty West. And it's like, how how did I even know yet? Like, this is his first, like, sort of main film. It's like, you know, so that's always a running joke that any time we ever mention Ty West, we're like, oh, yeah, the, the master the of master horror, of Ty horror. West. <laughs> Master of horror, Ty West. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Even after Cabin Fever 2, he would probably even, <laughs> I haven't even checked the back of that yet. It might even say it on there. But um, maybe that's why he got the Fangoria Award already. <laughs> wonder if it like says that on his like linkedin oh my god i i hope it does or his tinder tinder Tinder. hi hi west type 36 however old he is master of horror oh my god i really hope that exists like long walks in the park (laughs) yes and chainsawing body parts off on screen i don't know So, Ty's movies are often classified as mumble gore films. Mumble meaning- gore? Wow. Yes. I've never heard of that. Meaning they are a combination of mumblecore and horror. Uh, the Ritual, which we covered several episodes ago, is also considered a mumble gore film. I'll discuss mumblecore in just a moment when I get to Joe Swanberg. So, Joe Swanberg plays Jake Williams. Uh, the vice cameraman. Swanberg is an actor, director, producer, writer who primarily works in independent films with micro budgets that are highly improvised. He is considered a founding member of the Mumblecore movement. I think, I feel like I've spoken about Mumblecore on some podcasts before, but maybe not my own. But just to refresh everyone's memory in case I did or I didn't and you don't know what Mumblecore is, it is often characterized by a small budget, natural acting style and dialogue, which is often improvised. Greta Gerwig, the Duplass brothers, and other big names are some other big names within the Mumblecore scene. He has written and directed a bunch of films, but he is probably best known for directing the movie Drinking Buddies starring Olivia Wilde and New Girl's Jake Johnson, as well as the HBO dramedy series Easy. So now you kind of understand the mumble gore. Yeah, I understand it a little bit more now. Yeah. So, yeah, he's really good friends with all the directors in the mumble core scene, which is really natural for him to just pretty much make mumblecore. Because <laughs> they've all got like their like sort of friendships as well, haven't they? Because you had like uh, Your Next, which was directed by Adam Wingard, and Ty West is in Your Next. 
Oh, yeah. AJ Bowen, who's in the sacrament. Uh, Amy Simetz is also in that movie as well. Ah, yeah, she is, isn't she? So they're all like, it's like friends. Yeah, absolutely. They're all friends. They're all in each other's movies. I even have it in my notes that the filmographies are a circle jerk as I get later on. Because they're just, (laughs) it it really is, though. So let me talk about AJ Bowen, who you just mentioned. He plays Sam Turner, the reporter for Vice. Bowen, like West, is very involved in the mumble gore scene, hanging, uh, having roles in The Signal, which I've almost certainly talked about on the show before. House of That's the Dead. I love The Signal. It's a really good movie. It's it's really interesting too, the way it's segmented and the way yeah. it follows. Yeah, it's a great movie. He's also in House of the Devil. He plays like the like creepy son. <laughs> he has the best. He has the best scene in the movie. Yeah, um, where he kills because, Greta Gerwig. <laughs> yeah, because it's like. I don't like so when I first watched House of the Devil, um, it's like it just amazed me like how well it was made to to be you know be a depiction of the time that it was meant to be essentially shot in. But that scene, you know, in the car when he's saying like I can't remember the line he says you're not the the house sitter or whatever it is. I was um, like you're not the babysitter. Yeah, that's it. And then like pfft, that's it, blood, guts, like every, like brain everywhere. But it was like instantly, and then like it was just such like a modern way of showing that scene. It comes so out of the blue, you don't see it coming, and it's fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so he was also in Adam Green's Hatchet 2. As you just mentioned, he's in Your Next, like what you also said Ty has a small role in. He plays Tyreek, one of the, like, family members one of the daughter's boyfriends and he, yeah and he gets a nice death scene with he gets like an arrow like is it in the chester's head yeah oh, i can't remember i think it's like part of me seems to think it goes through his head like through his eye but then i watch so many horror films that's like every one of them so <laughs> i know I, yeah i can't remember if it goes through the back of his chest or if it goes into his eyeball but it's one of those for sure yeah and it's pretty dope and also as well i sorry i don't mean to be rude to cut in but i'm probably really controversial in saying that I actually think he's not a very good actor. Um, he's not a very good actor. <laughs> he's not a very good actor. Like, he's one of those like, actors, a bit like, um, oh, I'm going to say something really bad now, but like Ewan McGregor. I'm sorry if people don't like Ewan McGregor, but I can't stand him. Um, but he, he, like, they take you out of the film with their sort of acting style. And, and AJ Bowen's a bit like that for me where he like sort of takes you out of it you know you don't ever feel like he's a real person he's just sort of there okay uh i was listening to the commentary that's where i got all my like fun facts for this episode there's a scene where he basically says i nearly made him cut this whole scene because i said that i i was such a shitty actor that's how he (laughs) described himself (laughs) but in in the sacrament that's what's weird because when you first start watching it i'm like oh this is like aj bowen being him his usual self but like halfway through it sort of switches and he's like really really good yeah a lot of people say this is one of his best performances oh yeah definitely yeah okay so he was also in the guest if you've seen that and satanic 10 it's a great movie yeah absolutely and uh a, a horror comedy called satanic panic uh, in fact, Bowen was referred to by LA Weekly as Mumblegore's go-to star. 
<laughs> poster boy for the Mumblegore. <laughs> he really is the poster boy of Mumblegore. Okay, so Amy Simad as Caroline, Patrick's addict, sister, and cult member. Amy is an actor and director known for roles such as Alien, no, roles in films such as Alien Covenant, Wrist Cutters, A Love Story, Lena Dunham's Tiny Furniture, You're Next, and the Pet Cemetery remake. She oh also, yes. So I have to say that yeah. Wrist Cutters, A Love Story is like one of my top favorite movies. I love that movie so much. <laughs> love it. I oh, highly yeah. recommend it. It oh. is an indie, it is a dark indie comedy. Comedy. Right. Yeah. Uh, where they're in hell or in limbo, they're in purgatory. I guess. They're in, yeah, purgatory, limbo, whatever. Um, and Tom Waits is in it. Uh, Tom Waits is in it. The inspiration for the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it's fantastic. Um, because it's just them trying to kind of find their way in purgatory, I guess, and love ensues as the title hey, suggests. And there's a cult leader in this too, oh, in that movie. They're everywhere. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> they are. They are. <laughs> Amy also directed the 2020 film She Dies Tomorrow, which I don't know if you remember Morgan, but it's famously one of those few horror movies that managed to make me faint. Really? Yes. Mind you, I was in bed and just had Mark turn the movie off off until i was fine but yeah it's the scene when the girl isn't i've told you i've described the scene to you before a woman is, has stabbed herself in the stomach and she walks into a swimming pool and you just see the blood disperse and slowly turn the whole pool red kind of and that part it's not you know it's really realistic filmed actually it's not like cheesy at all that made you faint? <laughs> I, I don't know what it was about it. I guess it was just how real it felt. Yeah. Sometimes I, that happens. Yeah. Like I, I, well, I mean, I've never fainted, but I had a friend who, um, do you remember, like, they did uh, Hannibal, not the TV show, but the uh, the movie when they did that, and they had uh, a scene <laughs> where, like, Ray, Ray Liotta was... Um, Eating his own brand? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I was with, my, <laughs> with a friend who was, like, watching it, and the next thing I know, he's, like, conked out in his chair, passed out. It was, like, one of the funniest things I've I've ever seen in my life yeah i i am your friend i'm just i'm just like that it's it's just really bizarre and I, I i can never pinpoint what's gonna do it it's it always feels very random but yeah it's a uh, mystery it's a mystery but it that one's it just amazes me you love horror movies so much that you will continue watching them even after you faint. <laughs> well, yeah, you maybe add... that's like maybe that's like the goal to like see how like which film makes you faint the most. <laughs> yeah, right. You should rate them at like Anna's top fainting movies. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. they did like... that thing where they uh they rated like they did a, a scientific um experiment where they realized like Sinister was like the scariest film of all time. They could have just got oh, you based on heart fainted. rate yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could have just got you in there and seen how many times you fainted <laughs> i never fainted during sinister i'll tell you that much no, i know i only fainted from boredom i think i like sinister it's not great it's not terrible it's just like you know like i quoted last time from chernobyl not great not terrible yeah yeah i'll go with that <laughs> yeah it's fine it's just fine it's what that movie is but okay so let's get into the next actor this guy has the most unfortunate name i've maybe ever heard are you ready <laughs> yeah his name is kentucker oddler <laughs> that's, that's not a real name 
I could Oddler. Oh no, Kentucker Oddly. Sorry. Oh, Kentucker Oddly. It's still not great. It's it's spelled the last name is spelled A U D L E Y. Oddly. Imagine if that was his stage name. Like he chose that. That's what I I even have that in my notes right here. I'm like, <laughs> if his parents did this to him, wow. And mm. if he, but also he's fucking bonkers if he picked that himself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or like, why hasn't he changed it? What's your name? I don't know. Kentucky Kentuck- Powers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really bad name. It's Poor like guy. mixed Kentucky with some i don't know or ken and tucker it's, it's yeah it's it's tucker and ken pushed into one yes. <laughs> uh it, you, you know what it's probably how some people that are from kentucky pronounce kentucky <laughs> tell me you can't see that morgan <laughs> I, can, I can definitely hear that yes yeah absolutely <laughs> i'm from kentucky absolutely yeah. <laughs> So he's known for films such as The Sacrament, VHS, and She Dies Tomorrow. Here's the line where I say the filmographies are starting to feel like a circle jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Gene Jones as Father, the cult leader. Jones is a character actor best known for roles such as the gas station proprietor in No Country for Old Men. Anton Chigurh asks him, what's the most you've ever lost in a coin toss? Ah, that's who it is. Yeah. Yeah, if if he looks familiar to you, he's in that that scene that's like easily one of the most famous scenes from No Country for Old Men. Yeah, I recognize him from that. Yeah. Uh, He's had small roles in The Chappelle Show, Inside Amy Schumer, Boardwalk Empire, and the Paul Rudd-led Living With Yourself that's on Netflix, uh, among other films. This role earned him a Fangoria Chainsaw nomination for Best Actor. Yeah, so I looked into it because when I was watching it, I was just, I mean, he's hes so good in this mm-hmm. movie. This Absolutely. Guy, and like, he fully embodies that that sort of character. And, and, and when you're watching it, um, you know, he, he's so good in that role um, that once again, it's like the opposite to what I said with AJ Bowen, where he sort of takes you out of it. He really brings you into the film. So I, when I was, look, after I watched it, I was looking into it and I was like, I'm, I'm really surprised that he didn't get more recognition award-wise for this uh, performance in it. Well, you know, it's the curse of being a, an actor in a horror movie. Yeah. You, you so rarely get recognition. That's the problem. It is the problem, and it's a shame. And I ha- I am glad that they've been starting to see more recognition with movies like Get Out, but I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I wish we had our own... I wish... <laughs> That like the the Scream Awards, the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, those types of, of awards had more gravitas than they really do. Yeah, because they had a like a period where they were getting like bigger. Um, yeah, and then and then it sort of like stopped off. But I just I think that's probably because every single like award would have gone to a reboot or something or a remake. Um, God, so... I hope not. I would hope yeah. that they would <laughs> like focus on the ones that are original. But oh, yeah, but um, you know, too much wouldn't. to dream for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. But um but yeah, it's um it is a shame. Like we always have to keep looking back at the Exorcist to go, oh, one time horror won an award. <laughs> yeah, well I mean, you know, get out won an Oscar. Yes. Yeah, I mean that deserved it as well. I mean what a, an original film that was, thank God. True. Fantastic movie. And uh I really I've I've liked Daniel uh Kaluuya for a long time, ever since he was on Skins over there yeah. in the UK. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a fantastic actor. He's just he's got those eyes that 
can tell like a story just through his eyes. Oh, hundred percent. Like the way he the way he looks and stares and get out, like you see into his soul. Yes. It's fantastic. All right, let's talk about Donna Bisco. Now I had a hard time with this name for a similar reason with the other guy. So it seems normal when you split them apart, right? Donna Bisco. Morgan, do you hear what I'm hearing? Mm, say it again? Well, her first name's Donna, yeah. right? And her last name's Bisco. But when you say it together like this, Donna Bisco. Oh. <laughs> Gonna Disco? No, like Nabisco, like the cookie company. Oh, my God. Nabisco. Nabisco is literally in her name if you put them together. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate. But she plays Wendy, the cult nurse. Uh, Bisco's career spans several decades, and she has starred in a variety of productions in both film and television. In the early 90s, she had a reoccurring role on the drama series In the Heat of the Night, which takes place in the capital of Morgan and I's home state, Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah, have you never heard of it in the heat of the night? Yeah, I have, but I didn't know it was filmed in Mississippi. It takes place in Mississippi. I don't know that it was filmed in Mississippi. Oh. Yeah, it takes I... place in Jackson. I don't know where it's filmed. Okay. Yeah. In 2004, she starred in two different creature features, Frankenfish and Dead Birds. <laughs> now, Frankenfish. I've, I've, never, I've never seen Dead Birds, but Frankenfish is hilariously bad. I wa- think I saw it on Sci-Fi Channel here is it in the like States. like Zombievers? It's, it's along that same line, yeah. <laughs> that same vein. Fantastic. Horrible. So horrible. <laughs> Uh, also a horror role, she played the coroner in the American remake of One Missed Call, which was also incredibly bad, but oh, I am, unfor- oh, really awful, and I unfortunately saw that one in theaters for some reason. <laughs> I'm feel so sorry, at least, at least you didn't pass out. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> I might have fallen asleep from boredom because it was really bad. And Shannon Sossaman is not a great actress. Sorry, Shannon Sossaman. I will say this, though. I think maybe why I went to go see it is because the remake of The Ring was good. Yes. And then I, it was good. I I even like it better than the original. And then, so I thought, well, maybe this one will be good. And no, it's much worse than the original. Not that the original is also not great, to be honest, but it's much better than the remake. We did that with, um, when they did the the reboot or remake of uh, Prom Night, and we went and watched that at the cinema, and we literally laughed through the whole thing. Like, I I, like, me and my partner sitting there, like, laughing. You know, you're, like, in disbelief. They're like, shit, they gave money. Money to make this film. Like, yeah. Like, please, just stop it. <laughs> Doesn't that one star the chick from um, those like singing competition movies with Anna Kendrick? Yeah, yeah it's, uh, God, I'm trying to remember. It's what, Brittany I'm sure Snow? That's the one. I'm sure um, it's that one because it was like 2008, I think. So it was yeah. a long time ago. But I'm sure it had like somebody's. Who did it have? Idris Elba was in it. That's right. Ooh. Idris Elba was it. I could listen to him forever. Oh, Idris Elba. Like, yeah, it's just so funny because, like, over here, he's, like, in the UK because obviously he's known for, like, Luther. That's what I knew him from originally. Everybody's impression of him is always the same over here, which is, yeah, because that's how he sounds every time, like, when he's playing Luther. So, like, any (laughs) time over here, it's like an international, well, like a UK well-known thing. If you you go, yeah, yeah, it's Idris Elba. Like that. (laughs) that, that's, That's pretty much it. 
but you know who, exactly who you're talking about. He was also briefly like the boss, not the boss, but he was briefly on The Office in America. Oh, yeah, he's so funny in that. Yeah, I, I love Idris Elba. He's fantastic. He was in Prometheus, which not yeah. everybody loved, but I like no. Prometheus. <laughs> Look, there's a lot of things wrong with it. I recognize <laughs> that. Um, but the Alien franchise is one of my most beloved franchises. So, <laughs> And also the first ever horror sci-fi thing. But I always class it as like a horror anyway. But the first ever Alien um, was the first ever horror I remember watching. Um, yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. It's like the first Alien is basically... It's got that haunted house vibe in space. Yeah, and it's and it's just stunning. Like, the shots in it, like, it's, it's pretty much all, like, wide-angle shots. So it's like, you just sort of see everything. And it's it's just so beautiful. that Like, even as, like, a kid, I remember sitting there, like, in awe of, like, the aesthetics of it and so on. But, yeah, that was the, that was the first thing that gave me, like, my first proper horror film nightmare. You know, the bit where uh, the guy is, like got the beep going towards him and like you, you're like he's definitely dead and he doesn't know it and then the alien pops out yeah mm-hmm. um, i'm pretty sure that's the reason i'm claustrophobic <laughs> <laughs> can i just say i don't know if either one of you have played the horror movie game alien isolation uh, i haven't no but i saw a friend play i can't this is what's weird so i obviously horror films is like everything to me but if you sit me in front of like a horror game i'll be like when well, i literally pass out like <laughs> I, I, I can't do them i think it's like because like you're like you're immersed in it so you're playing them but i remember a friend of mine tried to sit me in front of like resident evil and oh man like, that's dead space me. and one time i played dead space and it like made me jump so much that i threw like my friend's controller and i didn't realize his window was open so it sort of went out the window <laughs> <laughs> and basically i had to buy him like a new controller but like i can't can't play games so alien isolation that literally sounds like 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 me it if would, i'm gonna die <laughs> you, would, you would have a heart attack because so i don't know if you know the way that um outlast is played no so outlast sort of like silent hill is it oh is it like first person well so you're playing ripley's daughter right right and you're basically sneaking around the ship you don't have a weapon at first and when you do it's very sparingly and you have to like like build it from parts so you're hiding from not just an alien that's on board you're walking around ducking and hiding in places from other people that are hostile on the like space station and androids that have gone hostile oh yeah that's scary (laughs) it's fucking terrifying i I don't know if i could play that no i mean if i did play it like i'd be in like hospital from like blunt trauma (laughs) i haven't finished it because uh every time i'm just like in the elevator not the elevator you can put yourself in like a locker and you literally have to press a button that makes you hold your breath so it can't hear you when it walks in the room oh god does the controller start shaking when you're like running out of breath (laughs) i don't remember i haven't played it in so long (laughs) giving me anxiety just thinking about it i know my hands just instantly started sweating (laughs) but but hey you sit me in front of like any horror film yeah that's fine like i'm absolutely fine but no not games i think this is why i play the horror games is because i'm numb to horror movies now they don't scare me anymore (laughs) i just remember when i was young i would always watch my older brother i mean i would play too but it always just freaked me out when i was watching him play and we'd turn off all the lights and we yeah. just had a really small TV 
TV and we're like right up next to it playing Silent Hill or Resident Evil. Oh, the thing oh, that comes no. out of the <laughs> out of the ceiling, I'd be like, ah, <laughs> turn on the light. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll, I'll call an Amazing. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into the meat and bones of the film, shall we? Yeah. Yeah. All right, so. Patrick, a fashion photographer who also like works in tandem with Vice, receives a letter from his sister, a recovering addict named Caroline, that invites him to visit Eden Parish, which is a utopian drug-free community founded by a religious leader. Previously, we were told through text on the screen that his sister had originally gone to live in a sober living community in rural Mississippi. Uh, I've Morgan and I have both lived in rural Mississippi before, and I gotta tell you, that's not a place to go get sober yeah no <laughs> i'll pay your word for it yeah that's a place that makes you want to drink a lot yeah, and do a lot of drugs yeah and, and they do a lot of drugs out there well yeah. I, best, I best book my holiday <laughs> Don't, that's, no, you'll be so bored, I promise. (laughs) When Patrick investigates, he discovers that they have moved to a secluded compound, only accessible by helicopter, located in what Sam only calls a remote part of the world. Intrigued by the mystery, Patrick's co-workers, reporter Sam and cameraman Jake, suggest a feature documentary on the topic. So, you know, they travel over to wherever the hell this is, because they never tell us where it is exactly, but we assume it's kind of like the Jonestown area and that it's somewhere in South America in a rural like hard to get to place. So the trip goes well and the helicopter pilot warns them that they will leave with or without them the next day which sets an ominous tone. They promise that they will be prompt. Um, and the first issue kind of arises as soon as they get there. The guides are like, hey, who are these people with you? I thought it was only supposed to be you, Patrick. And they're a little taken aback. They're like, we've got to get, you know, authorization to put take them to the compound from father. But it ends up being fine. At the commune itself, armed guards delay the entry of the film crew. And they felt a little uneasy. But Jake and Sam, and <laughs> Jake and Sam are really starting to regret their decision to come here. But Patrick is somehow able to smooth things over when his sister appears and she just kind of enthusiastically welcomes them. And, uh, you know, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. They're just really protective, blah, blah, blah. You know, makes excuses for the way they were treated. Caroline leaves Patrick and Jake and Sam and they're all, like, given their own cabin, which is actually someone else's cabin that had to move out for them to stay there for the night. But whatever. It's all a commune, right? I don't I know what they done like a scene where the guys is like how dare you steal my cabin yeah right that That was mine my cabin yeah (laughs) after settling in the two attempt to find members to interview several of the people open up to them and tell them stories about how father has saved them and given them newfound hope meanwhile the commune's nurse on the other hand reveals that the commune has a well-stocked medical center funded by no donations from the members who sold off all their possessions i don't know if i'd call that a donation it's just they kind of just took all their stuff. I mean, especially if you especially if you know like the background of cults and stuff. But it's whatever. Privately, the filmmakers express their skepticism and admit that the members seem happy and that they've accomplished a lot here. So Caroline arranges an interview with Father and Sam prepares a list of questions. However, Father will only agree to do the interview during a public meeting. Father, an older Southern gentleman, greets them warmly and at first answers the questions openly. 
openly. However, his answers become more evasive and vaguely threatening as the interview goes on. Near the end of the interview, Father raises the subject of Sam's pregnant wife, which Sam had mentioned earlier to Wendy. Taken aback, Sam fumbles and loses control of the interview, and Father politely but dominantly cuts it short, with roaring applause from his followers, who proceed to engage in a party. This lively party scene that you see, A.J. Bowen said when they were filming, was so much fun to film that it's the only scene that he ever wanted to not stop filming. He's like, also, are you he's like when you're watching it, it's like the opposite of that as well because you're like sitting there. Like I can, I like I thought to myself that would be like such a difficult one to film because of like the high level drama that you get in that scene, but obviously not. Yeah, he said that it was like a lot of fun and they were actually just kind of having you know like a dancing. Um, kind of like southern black church experience right and uh yeah he didn't want to stop filming he kept asking if they needed like extra exposition shots <laughs> do you need me to dance for you <laughs> yeah are you sure you don't need us to like sing a little more because the rest of this movie's a downer <laughs> <laughs> during the party savannah a young mute girl passes a note requesting help to sam when the filmmaker when the filmmakers inquire further they discover a dissident group that wishes to leave alleging abuse and brainwashing jay does not want to get involved but Sam insists that they help despite the fact that the helicopter cannot fit them which anyone knows a plane or a small aircraft that can't fit a lot of people is not a good way to go that's how Leah died that's how like Buddy Holly and all them died that's how like you don't want to get on a small aircraft if it's overweight you're gonna crash Leah. just a given rule I listened to a podcast about her death the other day and her like scandal with R. Kelly so she's fresh on the brain <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that was kind of a blast from the past, but yeah. Yeah, seriously. No? Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so Jake does not want to get involved, but Sam insists that they help despite the fact the helicopter can't fit them. When Sam and Jake attempt to locate Patrick, they find that he has been taken aside for a threesome. And a drunken, or at least on definitely on drugs, Caroline explains that they need Patrick's money. Growing increasingly distrustful uh, of Father and the commune in general, Jake and Sam anxiously wait out the night, unable to sleep. And they're, like, talking shit about her, too. They're like, oh, seems definitely like the drugged-out uh, sister that what uh, Patrick described. Hmm. In the morning, they find that the dissidents have become outright rebellious. Sarah, Savannah's mother, insists that they at least rescue her daughter and Jake returns to the helicopter to delay its takeoff. The pilot flatly refuses to help, but gunshots cut the conversation short. Jake flees into the forest and circles back to the helicopter. The injured pilot tells him to go get the others. Back at the camp, Sam attempts to break up a fight and guards attack him. Caroline angrily denounces him and he is taken hostage. Father convenes the commune and forces everyone to take cyanide-laced drinks. And it looks Looks like Kool-Aid or Flavor Aid, just like the Jonestown Massacre. So that's probably, you know, it's following that storyline to a T. Oh, uh, yes. Like, Everything. as soon as that comes out, that's when, like, it, like, properly hits, doesn't it? Like, yes. The, the, the absolute, like, the, the film changes, like, pace, like, emo emotionally, like, so much throughout the film. Um, well, the first half is so slow. That yeah, this it's is... like classic High West. It's like building the whole time. Yes, it's dread Bubbling. building. Yeah. yeah. And then as it's... soon as, like, you, they do bring out, like, the Kool-Aid, you sort of, like, really understand the reference of what it's trying to do and, and what it's trying mm -hmm. to tell you and then it gets so fucked up <laughs> yeah that scene is the hard turn left 
Yeah. Absolutely. Anyone who refuses to drink the cyanide drinks is shot dead. Jake returns to the camp and he finds that almost everyone is dead except for roving armed guards for the most part. Patrick, also held hostage, panics when Caroline injects him with a syringe that definitely has cyanide in it, and she holds him as he dies. He's also like, what did you put in my body? I love you. What are you doing? Think of our parents. He's just like full on, I don't want to die. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, and he's it's, gone full into that. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's heartbreaking. And, you know, she's fucking delusional just like shh this is what we wanted she's gone batshit oh yeah but she was that way for a long time you can tell yeah, yeah. so in another cabin Jake comes in and, and he finds Caroline and she's like Patrick's dead and she says she doesn't want to leave and she starts dumping gasoline all over the cabin she says that she has no one left and she fucking lights herself on fire yeah, I mean it's a pretty cool party trick yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah yeah. It's, I, I mean, spoiler alert for St. Maud. I don't know if anyone, if either of y'all have seen that, but there's a self-immolation scene in that too. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a really intense one. It's more intense than this. Blimey. Yeah. In another cabin, Jake finds Savannah and Sarah hiding. Sarah herself kills her daughter to spare her from execution. She fucking slits her throat. Yeah, how, I know. How is that better than getting shot in the head? It's I, not. I think I would rather be shot in the head. 100%. <laughs> That's, I'm not gonna suffer and drown in my own blood that way. Morgan, why the, is, why is this the, the grief, isn't it, I think? Yeah, yeah. This is the second movie in the last three movies that we've done with us throat slitting scene. Yeah, really is. This this one's not as bad as the one in Lords of Chaos, though. Oh god, that one's by so a long shot. Oh, that's so terrible. It's yeah. so long. That scene it's, is so long. <laughs> that scene, I had to pause the movie and catch my breath so that I didn't faint. Because it's like, holy intense. Shit. Holy yeah. shit. Holy so shit. In, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's so intense. Yeah, this one so, went pretty quickly, but I I mean, just my take, I would rather be shot in the head. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. All right. I'll so, just run away to the forest. Yeah. <laughs> run into the woods. Well, look, true. If that was an option. If that's yeah. an option, yeah. But I'm definitely not slitting my daughter or my own throat. That's just yeah. not an option for me. Yeah, as no. I said, this like as soon as that you know the scene where the Kool Aid happens, this film just goes like full throw into mm-hmm. all the nastiest shit you can think of. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the moment where an audition where the girlfriend is proposed to by the father after she he proposes to her nothing is good ever again in that movie yeah like, it just hits goes... the fan big time uh-huh same yeah so in another cabin uh sam is bound to a chair and jake finds him and with him is father father himself it's just the three of them and he tells them that they've ruined his family and all this crazy nonsense and then he fucking blows his brains out only after he does rails of drugs he does (laughs) yes yes he does rick james levels of drugs everybody knows you gotta be high in hell so i mean true true yeah then he blows his brains out and lots of blood comes out of his nose. And it's 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 kind of a cool scene, actually. It's from all the cocaine. That's what the blood. It's not even the headshot. It's just, the yeah. just, just all rusty pipes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so 
Sam and Jake flee back to the helicopter where they escape. And presumably they give you the footage that you just watched because this is a found footage film, sort of. And that's what I really like about this film as well, because obviously we watch, there's so many of these films where, oh, this recording was found, you know, or this, you know, uh, it, it, was, it was nice to have like the two like leads of the film survive and, and live to tell the story and, and to pass that on. Um, rather than them just finding the tape at yeah, they're, a, uh, a yard sale. Yeah, they're like the final boys of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've got some actually pretty interesting, cool, uh, fun facts this episode. So let's dig into those guys. But before I do that, so general consensus of the movie. What are we thinking about the film? I, I like it. Yeah? Yeah, I, I like it, but I think it also, they probably... I don't know. I think it's kind of cheap that they exploited Jonestown without ever mentioning Jonestown. Because the turn, like, the whole story follows Jonestown. That's exactly what I said on the Reddit Horror Club podcast back in 2016 when we covered this film. It felt a little exploitative without giving due to the victims, but beyond that... It's well put together, it's decently acted, it's entertaining enough. It does run a little slow, despite the fact that it's only an hour and 20 minutes long. But, overall, I'd give it, you know, like a, a 7. Solid yeah. 7. See, I'm yeah. always really biased because, like, I'm such a huge Ty West fan. But I just think, like, he brings so much to his movies. Because if you look at every, obviously, movie he's done, they're all so different. True. And when you re-watch his movies there's always like those extra elements of them that you you know you're like oh i forgot about that or uh, oh this happened and you see it a little bit differently and like you know the innkeepers is so tonally different to something like house of devil and this film is but i do i think like i don't know i, I think I think this film, like for me, I think it's like a really fantastic film because it just, you know, it's got those really clever elements of how the story works. Um, it, visually, it looks really good. Like it, it nails the type of film that it's trying to be. And it is classic Thai West where it is just, you know, story and story and building that tension, building that pace. And then suddenly like you are hit like 100 yeah. miles per hour and it has like the worst scene in this film for me um apart from like the mass killings and everything that's awful in this film is the bit where um they go into the cabin and and um the mother ends up like killing her daughter and and like herself and stuff and you're sort of you're there like with it and it's such like an unsettling scene in the movie. yeah like you're hiding with yeah them. And and it's but it's just I think that's like what Ty West brings is just he's such a like a modern director, you know, very much like someone like Adam Wingard was when he did The Guest and like Your Neck. They have this really like modern way of of storytelling, you know, through horror that I think the sacrament really does that really well. But I'm 100 percent with you in regards to the whole, you know, it's quite clearly based on the Jonestown massacre and it's trying, you know, and it's not one of those films that feels like it's trying to give you that sort of intellectual look of it to say this is what happened and so on. And these are the the, the victims, as you say, and this is what happened. It's sort of like it's a film about the things that happens that may or may not be Jonestown. Yeah. Right. I mean, there are distinct differences, but they're so thinly veiled. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, it, like if you watch this, you know that that's what it's based on. Oh, yeah. That's, that's literally it. And so, it, yeah, it's it's a bit weird that, as you say, there's no sort of reference in it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like it was a slow boil, like you're a crab in a pot, like you know it's coming, I guess. Yeah. And then, yeah. then it's just boiling over at this point. And yeah. I, I like the first person shots a lot. Yeah. Um, even though some scenes may be kind of sick when they're running with the camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all the well, motion blur and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, like I could, I just like realized whenever it picks up, uh, when the the mass suicide starts and all the crazy shit starts happening, all the people are fighting. Um, I realized that I was peeling the sides of my thumbs down. Like when I get nervous, I do that, and I was like, shit, this movie's making me do this. <laughs> like I didn't even realize it because I felt like I was in it. Yeah. Like, uh, it was good. Yeah, it Had you never seen this before, Morgan? No. Oh, nice. Nice. First watch for you. Yeah, it was the first watch. Very nice. Okay, so let's get, let me get to some behind the scenes things. Because I'm going to touch on a lot of interesting things that kind of, you guys kind of brushed on. So the sacrament was shot in chronological order, which I'm sure most of you know is pretty unusual in the filmmaking world. Yeah. Actor Gene Jones, who plays father, nailed that big interview scene in just 12 minutes. Yeah, I did hear that, which is insane. Yeah, he like, just banged no it out cut, perfect. One take. Yeah. Wow. Oh, perfect. Nailed it. And Ty West thought it was going to be a really hard scene, too, and just cakewalk. <laughs> Ty West secured funding for this film without a finished script. I think Eli Roth, who was one of the producers, just had a lot of faith in it based on the, you know, the concept. And but the fact that Ty West is the master of horror from day one. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, master of horror Ty West. But you kind of wonder, did he just, like, walk in and be like, so, so Eli, Eli. <laughs> like, I reckon he, 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 like, he has the UK Blu-ray and he just carries it around <laughs> with him. And just, so... like, just goes into a room and points to the back of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Eli, Eli, Jonestown, but modern day. Give me money. <laughs> and then it, Eli's like, why not? Yeah, I imagine it was slightly more complicated, but that's how I like to imagine it went. All the cabins seen in Eden Parish were built exclusively for this film. And I have to say as well, the set work, like, is insanely good. Like, you genuinely mm -hmm. believe that this is a place. That's one of the things I took from from the the last watch I did of this film was how amazing how real it all feels and they did a really good job of turning like suburban savannah georgia into the middle of like the congo because <laughs> <laughs> that is where they filmed they filmed right outside of savannah georgia oh yeah because i was looking at the plants and i was like that looks like mississippi sort of like in yeah. some parts yeah yeah it's just georgia that's why <laughs> okay we don't yeah. have anything fancy over here we've just got like sunflowers and that's about it <laughs> just, just, that's yeah it. yeah there's not like we, we can't look at different flowers and be like oh that's that's from this place we're just like oh there's a there's a seagull that's everywhere well, <laughs> we are a much larger country also yeah, yeah. <laughs> so according to the film commentary in the original conceived ending the helicopter pilot was not shot and once the helicopter pilot goes to altitude he proclaims 
We must follow father's order and crashes the helicopter and kills everyone on board. Are you fucking serious? <laughs> that, that was their original ending that they had planned, but then they were like, you know, that's kind of like just ending the movie and then literally putting, you know, like a title sequence up that says fuck you. Yeah, and and as we've already said, like, that's, that this is, for, well, for me as well, like, this is the good thing about the film is the fact that for once we're not getting this tape that's been found. We're, yeah, you know, we, 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 you know, we know that that's probably been hand delivered to Vice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they brought, they delivered it back. You've got to publish this, guys. That's it. We were, we were knee deep in this shit. Yeah, we nearly died. <laughs> Give <laughs> us money. <laughs> and Eli, Eli Roth's like, okay. Yeah. So uh, the title of father given to the cult leader character in the film uh, is exactly what Jim Jones insisted he call his followers call him during their time in Jonestown and Guiana. That's what everyone called him also. Yeah, but the kids called him dad. Oh. Yeah, yeah, which is so gross. fucked <laughs> up. Yeah. Eli Roth produced, like I said, he produced this movie and gave West full creative control. He had all the confidence in him. West wrote the roles in the film for the actors, uh, who were later cast. So he wrote all those roles specifically for his friends, basically. Poster boy, AJ Bowen. Uh, yes. <laughs> that, that character was made specifically for him. <laughs> so due to Swanberg's own extensive work in film, Wes trusted him to actually be the cameraman for quite a few of those shots. Where it looks like he's got the camera, he is the one filming all those shots. And it makes sense. Yeah. It just, it really adds to like you were saying earlier, where you feel like you're you're actually that person, um, you know, hiding yeah. out and, and so on. Mm -hmm. It really works for the film. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, per West's direction, Jones's take on Father was to play him as an evil man who wasn't mean. He goes on to say that while that seems subtle, but it's everything because if the cult members are just movie villains, then no one would believe that anyone would want to join their commune. Yeah, he, I mean, he has to be, you know, I mean, he's drawn these people in, you know, so yeah, yeah, you can't exactly. just be an arsehole and expect people to follow you. <laughs> like, exactly. You know, he, he, he's, you know, he, he's he's got these people through their faith um, and, and he's, in, you know, installed, he, you know, that sort of faith in him as a hand of God, so to speak, you know. Well, yeah, just uh, like just like the actual Jim Jones, yeah. people put their trust in him for years before any signs of cracks started to show. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Also, the, he, he reminds me so much of John Goodman in this as well. Every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, man. 100%. That's what I see, too. So Amy Simons injured her hand in the scene where she rushes to the camera to stop her brother from filming. West direction for her in this was to just go full Costanza. <laughs> <laughs> Which... I love that reference. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Producer Eli Roth's one note to West after viewing a rough cut was that he wanted to see someone being forced to drink the poison. West was able to do a reshoot in Brooklyn to film a close-up of a woman, be a woman being forced to drink some of the Kool-Aid. That's all Roth wanted out of that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's all he wanted. All he, he wanted. Like that's that's what's going to make you the big buck. Yeah, as long as that like, scene's in there, I'm good. And it, and it sort <laughs> like, of makes okay, we sense. We got this, got that, got this, but we need this one 
That does, that does emphasize that they weren't all willing to. Yeah. It helps emphasize that. Yeah, it does. So, and also it falls back on what we were saying as well, though, in like, once again, it's the whole, the reference to Jonestown because of it and, and stuff. So, um, you know, I don't know what well, God knows what it was like there, but being forced to, you know, it's just that it's what it implants into your brain or the thought or the process of, of what happened is just scary. Absolutely. So this is the most interesting fact that I learned, in my opinion. West was inspired by a real-life suicide when it came to the effects of father's self-inflicted headshot. <gasps> Can I guess? No. Aw. Well, sure, guess. Bud Dwyer. Yes. Ah! <laughs> he says, the infamous video of Bud Dwyer killing himself and the faucet of blood running out of his nose led them to duplicate it here. It, it- if- it definitely reminded me of it. When it happened, I was same. like, hey, man, nice shot. Right, yeah, what, same. what's Bud Dwyer? Okay, I'm just, Bud Dwyer? I was just about to explain that to yeah. you because I figured it would be something that you would probably not know. So, Bud Dwyer was an American politician who served as the 30th state treasurer of Pennsylvania. Right. In the early 1980s, Pennsylvania discovered that its state workers had overpaid federal taxes due to errors in state withholdings prior to Dwyer's administration. A multi-million dollar recovery contract was required to determine the compensation to be given to each employee. So in 1986, Dwyer was convicted for accepting a bribe from the California firm that won that contract. He was found guilty on 11 counts of conspiracy, mail fraud, perjury, and interstate transportation aid of racketeering and was scheduled to be sentenced on January 23rd, 1987. Now, on January 22nd, Dwyer called a news conference in the Pennsylvania state capital of Harrisburg, during which he fatally shot himself with a 357 Magnum revolver in front of reporters. Dwyer- so during the conference, he did it? Yes. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Dwyer got it in like a paper bag. Yeah, Dwyer's suicide was broadcast later that day to a wide television audience across Pennsylvania. And yes, if you really want to, you can view this footage online. I had to I had to dig a little hard to find it today, but like nine or so years ago, you could watch it on YouTube. But now it violates community guidelines. I've seen it. Yeah, I mean, me too. I ju- like I said, I just watched it again today. I bet you that's horrific. So horrific. It's oh, fucked God. up because he's like talking and he's like, I love my wife or something. I can't remember what he says. He's like talking to reporters and then he's like, all right, I love my wife. And like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then he just takes out the gun and everyone screams and then he shoots himself and it's all over in the blink of an eye. Uh-huh. And everybody's like, really what fast. the fuck? Yeah, that's when they started, like, making sure people A tape weren't... delay. Yeah, tape delay was in, right, like, okay, after see. that. And then also checking people for weapons and yeah. on grounds. Yeah, yeah a I lot of things aren't... Messed up, it? Yeah, it's a crazy story that I guess isn't super well-known outside of the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a crazy fucked up thing. And that's not the first time. <laughs> Well, it might have been the first time, but it's not the only time that someone in America killed themselves on live TV. Because the reporter, Christine, what's her name, did that too. She was like in the middle of a news report and pulled like a gun out of her, the news desk, and fucking shot herself in the head. Ugh. Fucking hell. I hate that. That's mad, isn't it? 
But that yeah. that death also inspired that song "Hey Man, Nice Shot" by Filter. Yeah, by Fil- but yeah, Filter, Filter. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, good song. Yeah. yeah, it's a really good song, but it's so fucked up. Also, it's about really that. sad. Now I know. Now I'll never be able to hear that again without thinking of of what it's all about. <laughs> we should we should totally do like a mini spinoff show that's just about songs that are about murder. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Because this one, uh, that inspired a lot. I, there's yeah. several. I think Nine Inch Nails or Tool or something did one. I'm, I'm Nine sure. Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails that sounds right. So. <laughs> like, if it's messed up, Nine Inch Nails will do it. <laughs> but yeah, Trent Reznor is a really good composer. Oh my Insanely god, yes. Mm-hmm. And I got to see uh, Nine Inch Nails live. Um, and just seeing him like on the stage is just like insane it's like just watching a master at work i bet he did i mean he's done tons of movie soundtracks but oh yeah he's an oscar my, winner now yeah didn't my he favorite do the gone girl Nash- soundtrack yeah uh, yeah in, network and all that. in natural born killers yeah so natural born killers is like my favorite soundtrack he's done i think so morgan mm-hmm. are we gonna take a short break and then you're gonna tell us about the real jonestown <gasps> oh am i I didn't do my research. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's all in yeah. your head. <laughs> it's, it's all right all up there. here in the noggin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. And we're back. Morgan, tell us about Jonestown. I will. So, like you said earlier, a lot of this is probably well known. There's so many documentaries out um, there's actually tape recordings from Jonestown itself, and Jones, who was born James Warren Jones, who changed his name to Jim Jones, also was known to record all of his sermons. So a lot of this you can actually find, like, his sermons and everything are still available in far reaches of the internet. But he actually got that idea from one of his inspirations to start this as Reverend Divine. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can read a lot on this dude. That guy was also insane. <laughs> I love the way the last podcast guys talk about Reverend Divine. Oh, my God. <laughs> Reverend uh. Divine was a piece of work, uh, but that's that's another story. So I'll just do a brief overview of who Jim Jones was. He was, they have him listed if you Google Jim Jones, like American preacher. <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> it's just like, okay, you know what? It's just like when you Google Glennon Engelman, it says American dentist. <laughs> I mean, you can never trust Google for anything anyway. Like in like in my podcast, like part of it is reading the synopsis from Google and then giving like my own version of it. But like it, that's exactly all you're going to get. Like, the you know, the fundamentals of who that person is or what that film is, but never like who they really are or what it's actually about. Yeah, it's just one snippet, and he yeah. was an American preacher. <laughs> I'm surprised it said preacher. I'm surprised it doesn't say American. Cult leader. Cult leader. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um. So, like we just said, he was a cult leader, political activist, a faith healer, a charlatan. Uh, he was many things. Very psycho. <laughs> he led the People's Temple, which was a New Age religious religious sect that broke out of Pentecostalism. Joan 
Jones grew up in Indiana to a really weird family. Yeah. I was I didn't get to finish the the book I was listening because the audiobook was just too long um, and I worked four nights in a row so I didn't get to finish all of it but the first part of his life was pretty weird. He was born in rural Indiana on May 13th 1931 to James Thurman Jones who was about 22 years older than Lynetta Putnam Him Indiana Jones <laughs> Yes it does. He was a Jones from Indiana. Yeah. yeah, we got it. Yeah, so Jones' father was injured in World War One, and he had been exposed to like mustard gas and different chemical weapons used in World War One. And Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live, from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating. They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And he had like breathing issues, but he was also a chain smoker. Like he would just constantly chain smoke. So he was disabled and couldn't really work. He did like odd jobs around the town, like fixing stuff. And then he was uh, at, at that point when he started getting older, he was like unable to care or support his family. Jones's mom was another story. She... <laughs> She was a compulsive liar. So there's a lot of her backstory is unknown. Like they don't even know what year she was really born in because she lied so much. She also um, changed her name like three times. Yeah. Yeah. She changed her name a lot and then like cut off contact with all of her family and she moved a lot. So she she was pretty poor she was brought up poor as well from what i understand but she always thought that she would be in a really high social position and everybody was like confused when she married jones's father um because they were like complete opposite. She was young. She was born up in the Great Depression. He was 20 something years older than her. And he was a disabled war veteran. She thought she was going to get financial assistance from his family. But they hated her. And she pretty much cut off um, his dad's family from uh, Jim Jones. So... She was just going around town smoking, cussing, drinking, 
but she was she feigned like being perfect it's she's very weird so after a while the family wasn't getting along and and jones pretty much just lived outside mostly like they just were like okay you're here just leave so he would like go around the town doing weird shit he would find like dead animals or kill the animals do experiments on them and then uh host like grand funerals for them how it all begins eh? yeah Yeah. he 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 wasn't brought up in the church by his family but people in the town were worried about him because he didn't go to church everybody in the small town went to church except for them well yeah because his mom was an atheist yeah she wasn't well yeah she was an atheist um she just didn't she also believed that her son was going to do great things, whether it be like the reincarnation of Jesus or, <laughs> yeah. or, but she also said she was an atheist. So it makes no sense. She's a lot of contradictions all bundled into one really weird lady. Yeah, she was really fucking weird. So, like I said, Jones would just go all over the town and, like, he was probably, like, five. I think they started letting him walk around the town when he was five, which seems pretty early to let a kid go. I mean, my daughter's eight and she goes nowhere without me. (laughs) This was was also America, like, small town America in, like, the 40s, 30s. This was yeah. a long time ago. Different time. Yeah, it's definitely a different time, but it's also like maybe they should have been, you know, I mean, caring for him. Hundred <laughs> percent, they should have paid attention to him, like yeah, even a little bit. Yeah, and they were like so poor that he would get food from people that lived in the town because he would just come up to people's door and be like, "Hey, do you have any food? I haven't eaten today." <laughs> And everybody felt really bad for him. And a lot of older kids, like, took him in. One kid took him in, and his dad was a pilot. And he caught Jones, like, spying on him in the woods and was like, do you like planes? I can take you to look at planes. And this kid was probably, like, 15, and Jones was, like, 6. So it was, like, his little brother. And they called him Jimmy then. And little Jimmy was, like, super excited about the planes. And he would constantly talk about planes, constantly just say, I'm going to be a pilot one day like your dad and he just thought it was so cool but then one day myrtle kennedy who was uh the wife of a pastor at a nazarene church gave jones a bible and she would take him in feed him read him scripture and that's when he started like turning his obsession from planes to church And there were several churches around the town. And he would go from, like, service to service. Sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes going to multiple churches in one day. And so he was church church hopping? Yeah. Yeah, he was church hopping. It's like a church crawl. He can't can't church hop. Yeah. (laughs) He's having a wild church hop. Yeah. Uh. So this is he started becoming, like, obsessed with religion and and re- obsessed with death because he really liked funerals. So he would go out, collect roadkill, and then invite all the kids to attend the funerals. And some of them said they didn't want to watch the funerals, but he would do it on the playground and they would be forced to watch him giving funerals to fucking animals, which is really weird for like an eight year old. I mean, it's, it's, it's very Harold and Maude, right? I mean, 
I, I mean, but less cutesy and romantic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a little on the dark side. But I can't talk because I used to give funerals to like bugs, and I had a a bug uh, cemetery. <laughs> yeah, Morgan, what are you talking about? Yeah, it was weird <laughs> too, so. that's a sequel to Pet Cemetery. <laughs> a bug cemetery. Bug yeah, cemetery. Bug cemetery. <laughs> yeah, so he started out like he he had a potty mouth even as a young kid. He was also a liar. He frequently stole. He lied about a lot of things, like the eating thing. Some people are like he probably had food, but just wanted people to feel sorry for him. He started out like with this mentality, it's him against the world, and he's gonna win sociopath yes he's definitely he was definitely a sociopath for sure um of like how little we would have if these you know people had a little bit more love yeah right (laughs) he just needed love and not jesus and, and not Jesus, and, yeah. and, and no and, church hopping, and, 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 and no funerals for Sammy not, the Squirrel. Yeah, right. yeah, and to maybe not do insane amounts of speed later in life. Yeah, he did speed and uh, sedatives like phenobarbital. So, yeah, he was yeah, he mixed. He was a lot. waking himself up and putting himself down. Yeah, that's he's why, fucking speedballing. Church, <laughs> church hopping must have been mad. <laughs> Yeah, also, along with church hopping, he was doing a lot of goose stepping as well because he was in love with Hitler. So he, I will I will say this, and this is the only time I'm gonna take up for Jim Jones. He didn't agree with Hitler's ideology. He actually liked the African American community a lot. He just really liked and admired. Hitler's oration skills. Yeah, he would watch his speeches yeah. and pretty much like copy how he spoke. Yeah. And that's I like mean, a like a common thing with a lot of like, you know, serial killers and sociopaths is the where they can't differentiate emotion. They don't actually differentiate people uh through race or, you know, a lot of the time. So so I sort of it's one of those things where I've read up on that. I sort of understand a little bit more about him that, you know, you know, in that aspect, it's not something you can sort of stand up for him for, but you know what I mean. But he, but he, the one he, thing he, I he, can he, say about him, he wasn't a racist. Yeah, that's it. Basically <laughs> that's that's it, you know, that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah, he like with the sociopaths like he didn't know how to be so he just like would copy others yeah like he would study hitler uh stalin mao zedong he really loved gandhi and marx as well like he was super into socialism meanwhile people in his town were like you know um like the kids on the playground would play World War II soldiers and he would t- take the role of Adolf Hitler. <laughs> oh, God. And so he would tell kids to like do the uh, Nazi salute and do goose step and everybody's like, what in the fuck? Now I've got like visions of like these these like squirrel funerals that he's doing or like possum ones all dressed up as like Nazis. and. <laughs> 
uh, the most horrible thing in the world. I also imagine all the same, animals. God damn it, you tuxedos. son of a bitch. Oh my god. <laughs> Can you, Morgan, do you imagine all the animals with little tuxedos? Because I do. <laughs> oh, just, yeah, like, but like, you know, like when they take them to like the autopsy and they get like all doled up and like all the makeup and everything. It's like a really fancy, well blushed squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> in a like tux. a little toupee. Yeah, that's it. Like, they're looking really classy. Well, I've, I've always said that funeral makeup makes you look like a porcelain doll because they cake yeah. on so much just to make you look sort of alive. I want yeah. that so much when I die. Like, I want to I look... <laughs> I want to look so like like dull. <laughs> Replace your eyes with buttons. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like in fucking Coraline. Yeah, yeah just make it. you Coraline. That's it. Um, on my that's it. On my will, I'm gonna write. You must make turn me into Coraline. <laughs> <laughs> or might be like, I miss it. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> well, what you Morgan, done? Morgan's going to the body farm. Hell yeah! Just throw me in a ditch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just want to, you know, forward uh, forensic studies. So yeah. just study my bloated body out in the hot, hot Virginia sun. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, only as long as they do, do your face up all night. Yeah. <laughs> They're gonna put a lot. They're gonna make you look like like a fridge sex worker here in, <laughs> in gay Paris in the 1920s. Yeah, just That's a, a loaded version of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, anyway, so Jim Jones was obsessed with death, uh, as you can see. And around like 1945, his mom decided to leave. Um, their his disabled dad and they moved to bloomington indiana and that's when he started attending university he also graduated high school with honors i thought that was crazy because like he was really bad at math and everything but he was really good at speaking and writing like he was super good at both of those because that's all he did was follow people's uh writings and speeches and go to all the churches in town and around the towns so he enrolled in the university he was saying he wanted to become a doctor but when he started doing poorly in school and his obsession with churches he's like well maybe i'll go um you know to to school to be a preacher like um, seminary yeah like seminary school but he wasn't doing very well in school at all so he started dropping out in classes but he did work in high school, he was so well put together. He was working a full-time job at a hospital as an, a nighttime orderly, and then he would go to school in the morning. So he worked like five days a week going to school full-time and that's he graduated school early and being a nighttime orderly then he's pretty much like a cna so he was cleaning up puke diarrhea you know he's doing he's setting up the bodies of people who died so the family can go and visit them he was pretty much a nurse in training and even though he was in high school he actually taught some of the nurses and other like cnas and stuff how to do stuff because he was like yeah and families and patients and doctors everybody loved him because he was like very kind he would not even be bothered if he got puked on or whatever like have to move a body or help with amputated limbs that's what they're talking about in the 
book. Like, apparently somebody lost their limbs and he was like, I'll, I'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it. Like, holding an arm. So he was, like, pretty promising. And he met his first wife at the hospital because she was a nurse that worked there. She was a little bit older than him. They ended up getting married in 1949. And he... She stayed working at a nearby hospital and Jones was attending college, but Jones started doing really bad in school. So he ended up dropping out. And that's when the whole obsession came back with the church thing. So he would just preach to everybody who would listen, even people that didn't want to listen, he would preach. And then he started doing like tent revivals after visiting a black church. So he really liked the black churches because they would sing, they would dance, the audience would interact with the preacher. And I mean, all of the audience would look up to this preacher as a community organizer. And Jones like wanted to be that. He wanted to emulate that and just be like the best preacher who ever preached. And he was also, you know, getting into politics, like reading about communism and socialism. And he was thinking like, man, um, I think it would be really great if we could integrate the churches. Because this is like 40s, 50s before America was actually integrated. So he started going to all these black churches, inviting his family. He would get involved. And they never asked him why he was there, but he would just like come up and be like, how do you do this? Is this so great. Like, I want to be like you. So he started taking that same route of talking to the crowd just as the black preachers did because he went to white Indiana, like white American churches who, you know, had these set times like you get here at this time, read this hymn, say this prayer. And it's very strategic, different environment. Yeah, it's very like clinical or it's like methodical. So he liked this openness and people being involved. And and he said, well, maybe we could turn this into practice and turn the church into becoming socialist because that's what Jesus taught. But also, we don't know the exact mindset of him because really, I don't even know if he was for this community it was more like he was for the recognition that him being this community leader gave him i don't yeah. i i think him integrating black men and women and children into the church really just increased church funds yeah Cause, absolutely because he would just get small donations here and there but he noticed that even like the poorest of the poor would give a lot of money so he could get more members of the church if he had white and blacks. So he said, okay, this will be open to all races, all children, all people. So around the 50s is when he started going in and helping this church in Indiana. He started sitting in on these meetings and asking the poor members of society, and I think it's Indianapolis at this point, like, what can I do to help you? And there was an elderly woman who said, well, I have an issue. My power is messed up and I can't and they keep charging me the full amount and half my house isn't powered and they're threatening my family to cut off the hot water and they're threatening to cut off the power if I don't pay, but it's not even working and I'm 
owing all this money. So him, he, he just sat down with a letter and was like, okay, let's write a letter. And everybody started putting their input. He was like, what should we add here? So they started embellishing the letter, making it sound way worse. But it was written by a white man to the power company. He said, well, I'm going to hand deliver this letter and I will help. And everybody was like, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to make changes. And then he did go hand deliver the letter and they actually came out and fixed it the very next day. So this woman, a community leader somewhere in Indianapolis, ended up telling all of her friends. So then his next church membership rose by like 200 people and around this time is when he started getting into evangelism pentecostalism and just kind of conforming it to socialist ideals which Mm -hmm. i mean really at its core it's pretty socialist like jesus yeah but so he starts asking people to join his church and he didn't have an area where he like he didn't have a church he just had like a rented space and they couldn't afford it so he ended up mixing with another minister who gave him his office so they split their office and then that preacher ended up inviting some of his congregation a lot of his previous congregation were white and they started getting pissed they're like no this is just too much you can't be integrated and a lot of those left but then more and more people start coming as the years go on because jones had a way of tricking people like he did like stage theatrics pretty much super manipulative like he would go around at these tent revivals because they went on tour a lot like during these early years of his church they would go on tent revivals invite people from different churches to come some would like stay for a minute and be like this is insane i'm leaving but then others were like man he's really got a good angle he's got a good ideas but as they're talking in the crowd a lot of community members would be discussing their lives well jones would be hanging around overhearing everything and jones had like a photographic memory and he also can memorize like everything like he memorized like like the entire bottle bible so jim jones just did the same fucking thing that john edwards does yes like in the crowd where he's like you stand up <laughs> you're yeah mother, your mother marianne and he's like yeah it's Miriam. yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so jim jones did that same thing he would walk around as people were congregating discussing their lives and he would just pick up bits and pieces and then he would come on stage and point out someone that does not know him and then he could recite everything and in like he knew a lot about them that like how does he know oh he must be spiritual and people were believing that he had these supernatural gifts i was just about to say is this like around the sort of time that they they were saying like he had like psych powers yes yeah he started getting into like being a psychic and a healer so during this time people started like coming to see this guy who could heal the lame he could get rid of cancer and like a lot of people bring back all those dead animals yes (laughs) (laughs) so like these it, it was called people's temple and it started growing and 
it was like a thousand members. So at this point, it was kind of getting hard to like point out, you know, like I'm going to heal this person. Like he didn't know them. They would be like, oh, I have cancer. So he started making plants, even though a lot of people never admitted to being plants in his audience that like some did. And he had like this couple that followed him. And I'm pretty sure they were plants in the audience too. He would do these tumor removal ceremonies and what, they like would in be front like of everyone. yeah pretty much he would he would ask them to come on stage and tell him their ailment and says well i have cancer i have a tumor and he would like do this weird shit on stage and then take them around back and say you don't want to see this because it's too gory take them around back and then come back in with like a bloody covered cloth and he would like hold it out to the crowd and say see i removed this tumor i i am the hands of god yeah now now this person Uh, can live and it was actually like chicken gizzards or something or Uh, awful yeah roadkill the ones he dug up that he buried (laughs) yeah but he would like cover it with a like a a handkerchief and it would be like soaked in blood and it'd just be this dark mass and he's like yeah but don't get too close because it's very infectious but i can get rid of it the spirit of the lord it it, it was able to be pulled safely out of this person and like then you never see the person again because they were fucking plant so he some people are like okay this is bullshit let's leave and then there were diehards that truly believed he was curing people and some people had like seizure disorders but who knows if those were all like psychosomatic you know like he's convincing them that they no longer have it and it's making themselves believe it or maybe they never even had seizures you never Mind know is a power thing so as soon as you start implying those uh, sort of things into it you never you never really know whether it's gonna you know how it's going to affect the brain and so on so that's yeah. why they say so much of it is all just you know your brain making you think that you have this or making you think that you're cured from this just because some charismatic bloke told you so <laughs> i like that because <laughs> i mean it's so true because there are seizure disorders that are like psychosomatic it's not actually a seizure disorder it's called pseudo seizures and he could be curing these pseudo seizures because they so full-heartedly believe in this man and sometimes he was wrong about a lot of stuff and people would be like oh that's just one off you know like he's still (laughs) he's still holy so he kept these people and he would get money of them they would this is when people started to like give him money and like be like i will drop my whole life to follow you around they this is when like in indianapolis around the area where they were had this huge following the church groups around there said he was a fake he was a sham he wasn't paying taxes because he hadn't been written off as a a church institution because in in the u.s you have to be an established church before you're tax-free and him starting this new church it didn't it wasn't like tax-free because all churches yeah all churches are tax-free so he just wasn't paying his taxes and so a lot of people are like he's he's scamming you like all this is bullshit so as this started like boiling over and then the racism in america took over there were a lot of people who were pissed that he was bringing whites blacks asians like all together like african americans made up most of his congregation at this point and 
the whites in the cities didn't like it. And he would go to the slums and everything and pick out drug addicts and drunks and and say, okay, you are going to join my church. I'm going to save you. And a lot of people did quit drinking or did quit doing heroin and shit. So they started following him because they he saved their lives. So yeah, so a lot of people got mad. And this was around the time that people were scared of nuclear war. So he's like, hey, we should like there was an article, I think it was in i don't remember what big magazine it was but there was like top 10 places to move if you're scared of nuclear war (laughs) and he picked california and so i think it was him and like 500 people just upped and moved to redwood valley california in 1965 and then the temple they eventually moved uh the headquarters to san francisco and this is around like 1970s to 1975 that Jones got really involved in the politics in San Francisco. And this is around the time he started unraveling. He started yeah. doing bizarre shit. He the name as Prophet. Yeah. This is when it totally so, this is the the left the hard left turn, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, this is the hard left. Yeah. So this is around the time that he got arrested for public masturbation in a bathroom. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Gross. And yeah. Uh, was he wearing like a like a Nazi costume? <laughs> no, he like went to a horrible. bar and was basically just like cruising to like pick up dudes. I think. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. He was bisexual. Yeah. Even though he claimed he was the only heterosexual man in the world, mm. and everybody else was gay and lesbians, that but he was purely heterosexual, which is yeah, because that makes lots of sense. Yeah. <laughs> Contradiction. Yeah. Um, so yeah the guy who caught him was an undercover cop. Uh. <laughs> like, the undercover cop walks in the bathroom and he's just dick in hand. Oh, hi, what's up? <laughs> Want some of this? <laughs> You're going to jail. I'll show Please, you motherfucker! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so around this time, he, he was really involved in the housing, what is it, the Housing Authority of San Francisco. He yeah. was changing stuff. He was getting people involved and changing their communities, being more open but this was also the time he was coming unraveling so he's walking dick out in bars and shit cruising so there's a whole bunch of like abuse stories that came out around this time a guy named Lester Kinsling he did a whole bunch of series of uh, Jonestown and the People's Temple like articles and there were people who came forward that said he propositioned to young girls to have sex with them and then I and I think they were like eight or nine eight or nine years old yeah he was propositioning young children and a lot of the children that he had in his temple were orphans mother or kids of drug addicts or alcoholics that he would take in and he called it his rainbow family he had uh Korean Americans that he had adopted uh it was like two two or three of them I think he ended up adopting he adopted a 
African-American child. I think it was a boy. Around this time, he's starting to get into Katie Pedo shit. This is when the heat started on him. And he started getting more increasingly paranoid about the FBI and the CIA. And he put it as they're trying to take us down instead of like, I did some fucked up shit. They're trying to take him down, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. they're taking us down. And they're going to kill us you they're gonna kill your children those are the words he used like it wasn't just him it was all of them yeah, like, um, like if he goes down they go down with him yes and and he was also like taking in children and doing these survival camps and around this time this is when people started getting out and like coming forward this is before they even went to jonestown that he was doing this abuse he forced one kid to eat his own vomit after vomiting after after the survival training camp, he he like puked at the table and then he made him eat it. And then when he threw up again, he made him to eat it again in front what, of everybody. What a piece of shit. Yeah. And, and he was like seven or eight. And they and were now talk- I'm thinking about audition again. Yes. <laughs> And their survival training was super fucked up. He, okay, he would take the boys. They were under 17. I think they were like 8 to 17 or 7 years old. He took them outside at midnight into a river. And he said they were, this is in one of his articles that that guy I was talking about. The next, okay, 17-year-old who spent a month in people's temple residences recalled that while, while he was on what is called a survival training. All teenagers were ordered to walk into a cold river at midnight. The next morning they were allowed to plunge in their bathing suits, but forbidden to change into dry clothing for the rest of the cold overcast day. For the youngest among them, who were non-swimmers, the experience was even more drastic. These small children were strapped into life jackets and dropped into the middle of the river in a depth far above their heads, no matter how loudly they scream and he just was like I don't care this is what you need to do this is what you have to do to survive and when all this I would have attacked that man before I let him throw me in that river (laughs) right I would have set fire to it (laughs) people were like in on it I know Um, he had like you know rough toughs that were like his his bodyguards, pretty much. That would yeah. Just he has do. like his own henchmen. Yeah, they're called. Tough? I called them rough toughs. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think we'll that's say, now. We'll say that's what they were called. It sounds like a cool gang. <laughs> rough, the rough toughs. The rough, rough toughs. <laughs> Yeah, so around this time, the heat is on. The heat is on. So (laughs) they're already, like, looking at other avenues to get out of the United States because he's becoming unhinged. He's on a lot of pills, doing a lot of drugs. Yeah, church hopping still. (laughs) He's divorced his wife at this point and dating, like, tons of women in the congregation. I I don't know how many children he actually fathered, but there's only one that's really his wife's kid him and his wife's kid yeah but there's many more and there was one member who left and she had become impregnated by another member and jones was pissed he was like no that's my child and she's like no it is not and he was like i'm taking the kid she was fearing for her life at this point because people were threatening her so she ended up leaving with the boy's father and were like we need to get the you know people in law enforcement to like 
crack this down and get us our son back. And he was sent like some paperwork or something to give back the child. And that's when he just like fled the country. He went to South Africa at some point. He went to Brazil. He was looking at Brazil to start his church. Like he wanted it to spread all over the world. It was a little early, probably <laughs> like, I don't know. He had the followers, but he he was just like, I'm gonna go to Brazil and like no one spoke English and no one of them spoke, spoke uh, Portuguese. So right. there was a massive language barrier. Yeah. Um, so they had like thought about fleeing to Canada. There was a Caribbean missionary post and they're thinking, oh, we can go to Barbados or Trinidad. And, and they were like, I don't know, maybe we should choose Guiana. <laughs> So on a layover, when he was going to Brazil, he walked around uh, Guiana trying to preach to people on the streets, even though none of them understood him. They're like, okay, we can get on board with this. <laughs> there were some people who were like very weary. I think they like spoke like broken English, but I, I would say like a majority were of his temple. It was about 500 people that began the construction of the temple in Guiana which they quickly named Jonestown. You and know, I have a, a minor aside. What What is it about the 70s in America that just attracted cults and serial killers? Lead in the water. Yeah, I was just about <laughs> to say that. I literally was about to say there must be something in the water. Yeah, <laughs> lead in the water, leaded gasoline. Yeah, there was a lot of lead, lead in the paint. Yeah, because I mean, just imagine all the cars in San Francisco and LA where they were like they're just pouring out high levels of lead. Like, uh, that's that's my take on it. That lead in, equals lead. sewer killers. That in like <laughs> you know the perfect world. Everybody had this idea of like perfect world and like oh I can start it because they were all psychopaths. <laughs> And, and drugs made them more likely to be like, yeah, man, that sounds like real. Whoa, this I can get on board with this, bruh. Like, well, there's know. a lot of, it was, you know, part of, like, around the free, the end of the free love period, a lot of, like, hippies were looking for a place that felt like home. Yeah, yeah. it was like utopia was yeah. on everybody's mind. Because we all know utopias don't exist. Exactly. Nice. <laughs> uh, they wholeheartedly believed they did sadly and I mean some of them actually went in with you know like this may not be a good idea but it's a new start like it was not all perfect in Jonestown like from the very beginning men young men were forced to work like eight to ten hours clearing the jungle because they took up this land in a jungle and i mean they, that's fucking heavy and thick <laughs> yeah so a lot of people went early i think it was a hundred that came earlier that like started clearing out all of the trees and it was 3,800 acres, which is 1,500 hectares of land. It's a lot of land. Yeah, and it was a lot of work. E a yeah. lot of work. Because it was super isolated, 150 miles west from the capital, which was Georgetown. And they were, it, they said it was like low fertility, but all the videos of Jones, he's like, look at this tree. This is the best tree that's ever been a tree. 
and we're gonna make great great wood out of this tree and i was like oh the tree i was like that is like a dead piece of shit tree <laughs> you're not gonna build a house out of that the trees are like not me not me <laughs> yeah <laughs> he was like yeah we're leaving up some of these because we're gonna turn them into homes for our members and i was like mm. There's literally two trees left, like, and they're halfway <laughs> burned. Like, uh, like he, they, they set up like tents and stuff, and would switch off. They were able to import guns and drugs <laughs> through Guyana because they would like pay off the officials. So it was pretty much duty free items, and they. He actually was such a smooth talker that he convinced the government of Guyana to have a mass migration of Americans to to Jonestown. Because, I mean, there's, like, laws and stuff on who can immigrate, even though oh, it's yeah. a developing nation. They still had laws, but he was like... Yeah, I'm going to convince you to do that. I think he paid them off, but it's really not substantiated by anything. I reckon it's because he looked like Vegas era Elvis and everyone was just like... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was, he like put on the why. sunglasses. And... They all thought he was Elvis. These like, <laughs> like all these people in these different like internationalities are like, is that Elvis? Yeah. Well, but... I think he started wearing the glasses around the time that he had been doing like heavy drugs and stuff to hide yeah. the way yeah, his, to eyes hide his eyes Because he yeah. was also... So, so like strung out on drugs, but he would also take sedatives to sleep. Yeah. So he'd only sleep like a couple hours at a time and then wake up and just record himself like all these fucking crazy ramblings. And he, he would also tell people he was the reincarnation of Father Divine, even though he was in his 30s when Father Divine died. <laughs> I mean, he's pulling that right out of Father Divine's playbook because Father Divine's first wife, when she died, he just picked, started dating this young woman, and he was like, "It's okay. It's what's. It's my wife reincarnated in her body." Yeah, and they're like, "Wait, she was an old African American woman, and now it's... you're dating a very young white woman." <laughs> I feel like reincarnation isn't used enough as an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> Bring back car- reincarnation. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to start using it more. Yeah, like, oh, right. who used the last tea bag? I'm like, oh. Well, what happened was I reincarnated and, uh, <laughs> into, a and it, <laughs> into a tea bag and just, just walked away. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. And Father Divine said he was a reincarnation of Jesus Christ. That so- guy. Yeah, Father Divine is crazy. Like, the whole chapter in the book uh, about Father Divine is just wild. I really want to do something on Father Divine because it's it's just maddening. So, So around this time, he has, what is it, 600 people, May 1977. He's got 600 people in Jonestown. And then over the next few months, there would be about 400 more it was not happy like he would force people to work long hours he would constantly go overhead and speak the scripture while on his drug drug shit his drug nights <laughs> what a film that is drug nights yeah he he called he actually said that there were like drills because he was scared of government raids so he he called it the white nights <laughs> <laughs> and he would call out alert, alert, alert over the community speaker. So everyone would just run into the center of Jonestown, which was like this big pavilion with like, uh, it's kind of like what was on the movie, but 
bigger I and imagine some like really grumpy people like older people like in their bed be like damn, damn motherfucker uh, yeah. <laughs> like, waking me up again i'm sure oh like he took in so many old people like there was yeah. there was a lot of elderly people and i Even hope they're close shit. yeah i hope like the handicapped and like the elderly people were closer to the pavilion because it was a pretty open area because they had like different different areas so like where their food was kept where their medicine was kept where cleaning supplies was kept like it's it had a lot of buildings on the property and then there was like rows of cabins and the aerial view like of the movie when they're like zooming out it looks a lot like the actual jonestown if you've ever seen it yeah yeah um, it i always it remember does. like when I was a kid, seeing the footage of it and just not thinking it was real. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you hear that number, 900-something, yeah. you're like, no way. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking terrible. It's it so many people. They said 918 was the count, which included the congressman and the journalists who died. Yeah. But I think it was 909 members. Insane. Nearly 1,000 people. Put so much faith into this one man that that they took their own life or were forced to take their own life. Yeah, yeah. you know, three hundred and four of those were children. It's in. It's just sickening. Like it's just. Oh, it's just. It just makes you think. It's one of those things, like in history, that makes you think. Like, like how how did that happen, and and like how was it real? Yeah, yeah. Totally. And I mean, he was so convincing too that he had convinced everyone at Jonestown that they were under impending attack so yeah. he would send guards into the surrounding like when people were talking about how upset they were like how they wanted to leave he would do this white night drill and say that the government was coming to raid them and he would send guards out into the forest and shoot with their machine guns to simulate an attack which would freak everybody out and just thinking they're about to die. And then he did like a mock, he did right, like right. a mock trial and oh, said yeah. that. Okay, I know what you mean. Yeah, he said they were gonna poison their drinks and then like it'll be okay. And this actually happened in like 1978, right before the massacre. It was like in May, I think, or early. Early 1978, he he said he was going to distribute the poison and everybody will have to drink it and then they'll die. And so there's like t- everybody sitting around hugging each other, crying. So they're they're thinking they're going to die. Like this is it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of these nights, one of the white nights lasted for like six days. And so around this time, letters were getting to Congressman Ryan. He was... Leo Ryan. He was a congressman in California, I believe. He was actually like everybody that has stuff to talk about, even though they weren't in like party affiliated with him. He was a Democratic Party member. They had really good things to say about him because he he was he criticized congressional oversight of CIA. He co-authored some amendment that was to report covert CIA activity to Congress. He actually like faked being a an inmate one time and went to Folsom State Prison. 
Oh. Yeah, insane. yeah. In 1970, he used a pseudonym and had himself arrested and detained, and then he was sent to Folsom State Prison because he wanted to see how the prisoners there were being treated. <laughs> Good way to find out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he really investigated stuff. So, like, people would send him information, and he'd actually, like, be like, okay, these are my constituents. I'm gonna, like, do all this. And his, he called it experiential legislating. And that was his investigation style. So him and his aide, Jackie Spire, were alerted about possible human rights violations in Jonestown by People's Temple and Jim Jones. Some family members said like, hey, uh, I think our family is being held hostage because some letters got out to concerned family members. And they also with the custody battle between the son he took, he literally took that lady's child. What, with him to to the Jonestown? Yeah. Yeah. And she was trying to get him back. And he was friends with a former Temple member who was found dead by some railroad tracks after telling people he was going to leave the temple. And I don't know whatever happened or whoever was charged with the murder, but I'm pretty sure it's still unsolved. His name was Bob Houston, and he had been tortured and left for dead near some train tracks in 1976. So he was also fueled by the death of his friend, all these letters from, they called themselves the Concerned Relatives Group. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. They, like, wrote him a letter saying, like, we need to figure this out. You need to go to Guyana and see what's going on here. At first, he was not allowed. Jones was like, hell no. This is a thing by the CIA. Like, we can't let them come here. They're gonna tear us apart. They're gonna kill your children. They're gonna kill you. And This is an origin of my prophecy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and he's like, no, we can be our, you know, jungle religion in the jungle. So, So he finally brought it before a committee to the Foreign Affairs committee saying that he would go with his congressional delegation of government officials, media representatives, and some members of the concerned relatives. They actually got funding from the U.S. government to be taken to Guyana. There were several family members who went back. I don't know the exact number. You can find that anywhere, but they ended up going to the capital first and then they were unable to bring everybody so they boarded a small plane for the port Ketuma Airport. After landing at the small airstrip near the jungle, they were welcomed, but at first they weren't allowed to go. And then they were like, okay, a few of you. So it was like the same thing whenever they first landed. So whenever they first got there, um, they were welcomed. They had a party. But then people started passing notes um to ryan one of them i think said help us like we're being held captive or something and that scene in the movie yeah and it was a little kid that passed on the note but another little kid ratted him out because i tell you because he had little spies everywhere (laughs) i don't know if he knew what he was doing (laughs) but but um the little kid ended up um going back to Jones and his bodyguards saying like they're passing note. So at some point 
Um, someone pulled a knife on, oh my God, Ryan, the congressman. Um, some of the members of the People's Temple tackled them and were like, do not harm him. This will just get us in more trouble. And so he made it out without being stabbed. Um, but then whenever they got back to the airstrip, um, one of the members who was part of uh, Jones's security team was like, you have to let me come back with you. And everybody was like, I'm really suspicious of this dude. Like, do not let him. But he was like, no, you can come and we'll just show you that we're just going to leave and there's no one going to kill you. Um, so... Whenever they're loading into one of the airplanes, because they ended up getting two airplanes because they realized there were more people that wanted to be rescued. Um, they were supposed to be picked up around 430 or 445. But when the aircraft landed at 510, the boarding started. And then that's when um, the, the bodyguard guy, Larry Layton, pulled out a handgun and started to shoot people. And then people from the forest, he had other guards in the forest they were called the Red Brigade, not the Rough Toughs. <laughs> they no Rough Toughs, are they? Yeah, no Rough Toughs. They were the Red Brigade. Those ah. were, yeah, they called them the Temple's Red Brigade Security Guards, or Security Squad. Mm. Um, I reckon it's like Red Brigade because of, like, the Kool-Aid color. I think it was a reference to communism. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, more than likely. Nothing to do with Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> so they were hiding in the woods around the airstrip and they started shooting as well uh they opened fire with shotguns handguns machine guns and different types of rifles because they had a fucking like arsenal yeah they were getting imported guns from all over south america um and jim jones said he was on speaking terms with uh the ussr so i have no idea they may have had russian rifles as well um but he was a liar so i i don't even know if russia even liked him i don't know he probably never spoke to a single russian person <laughs> Yeah, he said he had, like, suitcases of money or something. But then whenever sure. they were... Because he was trying to escape before Ryan came with his entourage. Yeah. Uh, but there was no... There's no communication that was found um, afterwards that w was between him and Russia. So I think it was all just him being a fucking liar. Um, so there were nine people injured. Um, Ryan was shot more than 20 times. Um, the he NBC, yeah, they uh, fucking overkilled. Um, the only footage of the gunman during the uh, the shooting at the airstrip uh, was shot by Bob Brown. He was also killed, and it he was, like was three reporters, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, it was three reporters. Robinson. Oh no, Robinson Harris and temple no robinson and harris were the reporters and then patty park or patricia parks uh she also was shot like immediately um in the death tapes if you've ever heard them you can hear when the gunman return because they say he says oh no ryan has been killed and so is patty patty parks is dead and you can hear the crowd go oh and 
Like, he's like, I didn't order this. And there is some conspiracy if he did order the shooting or if the other guy just started shooting. Um, some right. people said he wouldn't have done that, um, but then others say he he definitely ordered it. So how much they were under his uh, his power. Yeah. So with the guy who opened fired, like he probably was told by Jones, but we don't we don't know that. No. Um, and there are a lot of letters left behind from family members and stuff. It's so sad. So around this time, it's like. 45 minutes of people dying on the People's Temple death tape. You can find it on Wikipedia. Um, it's actually playable on the Wikipedia page for Jonestown. It's really gruesome to listen to, though. It's so sad. I listened to it, and I was just, like, frowning. Just, yeah. I was just, like, sitting with my legs all curled up. and I was It's just like, like a mixture of, like, like, absolute, like, bottomless, like, gut-wrenching sadness and anger yeah and there was uh there was a lot of people who spoke out but yeah that's not really caught on the tape no it's not um it's just from people who survived yeah because uh, whenever he ordered everybody to come to um the patio what the fuck is it called sorry i just blanked out the word for it the pavilion Yes, pavilion. That's the word, not patio. <laughs> um, so he orders everybody to come to the pavilion. And this is like 900 people. And everybody reports some people at this point sneak away because they know what's coming because they had all those white knights of uh, mm. scare tactics and the previous threatening of poisonings. Um, and some people left. They went and hid in the forest. Some people were shot while they were trying to escape into the jungle. He had bodyguards at the perimeter at all times, uh, the Red Brigade or whatever. Uh, so they were shooting people who were trying to run. Um, they started out with the a large metal tub of grape flavor aid, and they poisoned it with like Benadryl, uh, promethazine, which is an anti-nausea medication, uh, chlorpromazine, which I think was uh, thorazine, which doesn't yeah. exist anymore, I don't, I don't think, or it's not widely used. Uh, right. It used to be for schizophrenia. Then chloroquine, we all know what chloroquine is. Um, and then uh, chloral hydrate, Valium, cyanide, and uh Je uh, Jones actually hoarded all the phenobarbital, as we will find out later during his autopsy. <laughs> um, so he ended up getting everybody to come forward. Some people were like, okay, this is what we're doing. Like, we're going to die and we're going to go to another plane. And that's what he kept saying over the intercom. Like, it's it's not really death. It's, it's like you're going to another plane and we're going to teach them. We're going to teach. Like, it's like, I got you. I'm getting back at you, world. Like, it's so weird 
the way he talks to people, like convincing them to kill themselves. Um, but a lot of people were already set on it, so they start drinking it. But you can hear babies crying while the moms were forcing syringes of cyanide down their throat. Um, you can hear children crying because they know what's happened, like their baby brothers are already dead. Um, and uh, people are speaking out, but it's not caught on tape, but those people were quickly subdued and then given shots of cyanide. Oh, um, good. Yeah, so the people who didn't want to were actually forced to Just take like it. Just like they showed in the movie where yep. she shot him up. Yeah. And there was one person who escaped named Odell Rhodes, and they said the first person to take the poison was Rouletta Paul and her one-year-old infant. Mm. And she took the syringe and without the needle and then squirt some into the infant's mouth and then squirt it into her own mouth. They basically and, showed that in the movie too. Yeah. Yes. All that's why I was like, all of this is literally like from the part with the plane is pretty accurate to everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People were trying to run. They were quickly shot or subdued, tied up, and then shot with a needle. And after this, it was a 909, or it was about 20 to 30 minutes that everyone dies. And Jones is talking the whole time. A few other community members come up and say some words. And one one phrase that freaked me out. He says, die with a degree of dignity. Lay down your life with dignity. Don't lay down with tears and agony. And then he says, he he's like pointing at some people. And he says, I know, I know. They, they're not crying out of pain. They're not crying out of pain. No one's in pain. But like, I bet that shit did hurt. Like, oh, uh, yes, cyanide uh, is a painful death. And the crazy thing is, he got cyanide imported way before any of this. Like, he had this idea going into oh, it. This is his plan. Yeah. yeah, because he had imported this from the Guyana government uh, to clean massive amounts of gold. <laughs> So I guess they thought they had found gold or something. I don't know. Um, But that's the only reason why they had the cyanide. Like he wasn't, no one would ever be allowed to import that much cyanide. But he ended up getting a jeweler's license. um, And he was a weird dude. He he used to sell monkeys. Dude was fucking nuts. Oh yeah, he sold (laughs) monkey. He sold like spider monkeys door to door. Yeah. And they had a chimpanzee. At James Jonestown. Yeah. I can't remember yeah, his name. Yeah, I remember seeing, I'm sure, mm. I could be wrong, but I'm sure I've seen a picture of, of like, him with, like, a chimpanzee. Yeah. It was, like, his friend. <laughs> yeah. So. What a weird guy. Yeah, and he, um, he said that day, uh, one, one person who survived said that, uh, some of the grilled cheese sandwiches were tainted with sedatives. And, like, some people are already sedated and were okay to die by poison. Oh, good. But that's that's just a claim by one of them because they they had done it before. So mm. they were thinking maybe a lot more people were more in tune to dying because they were drugged before. Because oh, they had grilled cheese. Um, and then also... That grilled um, cheese sandwich couldn't have tasted good, right? Yeah, not with cyanide. It was probably phenobarbital. Or yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, but whenever they did some of the autopsies, 
because there's like 909 people on this property dead around the pavilion in and around the pavilion is where the majority of people were um later one woman woke up and had slept through the whole thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> some old lady she's like yep she wrote a book I have not read it, but she has a, um, she like published her life story. Uh, a lot of people did. Um, a bunch of survivors have books. A lot of family members have books. A lot of people are still like, you know, affected by it. It wasn't that sure. long ago, 70. Yeah. Um, but during the, um, the medical examination of a lot of the people, some of them did have uh, injection marks that looked like they did not give it to themselves. And they said around 77 of the bodies had injection marks. So, and some of them were shot. Um, and Jones was actually found lying in next to his chair between two other bodies. He was laying down on a pillow. And he his cause of death was a gunshot wound to his left temple that was consi consistent with suicide. Mm -hmm. Some people say the nurse may have shot him because he wouldn't have shot himself. His only surviving son says that. He says, yeah, no, he wouldn't have shot himself. I think someone else did it. But medical examiner put it down as suicide. Um, there's also like memorials set up uh, for the People's Temple members. Um, and also he did have other, he had another small temple in the capital of Georgetown of Guyana and I think nine people died there um there's different reports on how many people they say 914 909 918 um so I don't know if the ones in Georgetown ever were counted in there right I'm not sure um so there was a family member just got the remains of one of their family members, like, finally. I think it was, like, 2014. Um, oh, that's a long time. Yeah. They were, it was, like, four of their, yeah, in August 2014, the never-claimed cremated remains of nine people from Jonestown were found in a former funeral home in Dover. As of September 2014, Four of the remains have been returned to next of kin, and the remaining five have not. Those five were publicly identified in the hope that the family would claim their remains. All five still remain unclaimed. And they were laid to rest at Jonestown Memorial at Evergreen Cemetery in Oakland, California, along with the remains of approximately half of those who perished on November 18th, 1978. Yeah. Yeah. So sad, isn't it? It's so sad. It's just, I mean, we, um, you know, you get, you know, these these stories and parts of history through all these, you know, the the nasty things that have happened and have become, um, you know, popularized and so on, you know, through through you know books and programs and so on like that. But the Jonestown, there's nothing good that comes of it. You know, like there isn't anything anyway, you know, that could, this good that comes from anything like Ted Bundy or, you know, anything like that. There's nothing good about them. But, you know, from the get go, you know, everything you've explained about his youth and um, everything that he was doing, you know, he was already on that path of destruction. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. From a and, very early age. 
and and it, as so it is with so many of them but it's so sad that this story that it's not you know that that it affected so many people's lives and he brainwashed so many people that nearly a thousand people took their own life or were forced to take their own life um it's it's such it's so sad it's such a sad thing and it's just as i said it's it just makes you think like how is this real like even to this day i see pictures or videos and i'm like this it just doesn't seem real yeah, yeah. and and a lot of the family members like everybody knows don't drink the kool-aid yeah um yeah that's it uh, all the family members are like that's fucking tacky which yeah. i agree but i admit i have said those words before um i mean me i too. lived on a commune <laughs> yeah. yeah you can't like but help think about it like literally the other day um we've got like um like a, on our pier sort of thing we've got like this this place that smells sells all the american candies and stuff like that and um you had like kool-aid stuff there and your brain can't help but think back to that even um, though it was you, definitely flavored yeah yeah exactly but you just yeah. sort of like it's just the way that your brain like well especially my brain like you know from knowing about this sort of stuff from such an early age um so actually, this is funny because I, I listened to your podcast you did before this, the Zac Efron one with the... Uh, the <laughs> Zac Efron one. <laughs> the Zac Efron one and Ted Bundy. Um, and I, and I, I listened to that and it was funny as well because we um, uh, said about said about how um, growing up, like you had like a mum that had all the like true crime magazines and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> I had the exact same thing where like the, where every nice. month, you had like subscription magazines over here and uh, that's what my mum's subscription magazines were. So even from like when I was like 10 years old, I was just like walking into my house with my mum reading these books about like, you know, serial killers and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, she Um, had a true detective was. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what it is. It was something like that. And uh, and I've still got like some of my mum's like old books that she had like on serial killers and stuff. But um, nice. But every time, you know, I, I, I hear or see, as I said, anything about Jonestown, like my brain just doesn't think that it's real still because of how how many people it was. Yeah. Insane. It And it was the uh, even though it didn't happen on Americans grounds, it was, you know, all American or mm. um, United States citizens. Uh, it was the worst mass casualty until 9-11 came along. And it is the largest mass suicide in world history. That we know of, because you never know about those crazy minds. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, in recorded world history. <laughs> but yeah, let's just hope that nothing ever like this happens again, eh? Absolutely. Yeah, and like there's so many studies on it too, like studies on these um people you know like these fast talking people and and then you still hear stories of like uh what is the recent um cult the sex cult um that would be nexium yeah nexium and it's like what the fuck i i just i love the psychology behind the people yeah. who would want to join a cult. yeah yeah like yeah. it just it's, um it, it sort of so going back to your previous podcast as well is like 
um, it, it was all it's all about like obviously the psychological impact that I think that that people were so interested in um, the psychological side of of how these these people's minds work and but it's 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 bewildering to me that it goes from that one step to the next um, and you just can't explain it yeah yeah um, I've always I've always said like I've always found it really weird. Like we psychologically as as like people like I know I do and I'm sure other people do as well. But you like you might walk down the road and then see somebody who you really do not like and you think to yourself, do you know what? I'd really like to punch them in the face. Right. <laughs> but that is like that's that's like level. That's like emotion. That's like normal in a way, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. But what makes a brain go? like to the extreme from from not just punching this person to to decapitating to to lying to this person saying my arm's broken do you want to get into this car and help me you know what i mean can you help me get something from this trunk what makes somebody think you know uh you know i want all these people to follow me to their impending doom you know like it just doesn't make sense to me you know and that's why i've since a young age psychologically wise has been so you know confused if anything by how the sociopath brains work it makes no sense to me yeah Yeah. that's what I find fascinating about them I just want to know how they work yeah (laughs) and I don't think we ever will and that's the thing that's what that's what I find that's mad about it I think like we will try and try but there will always be something that we won't understand sure not without being inside their mind yeah what's crazy to me is you know we sit back and we watch this or we read about this and look yeah. at this this mass casualty and this, you know, this crazy guy leading these people, like you said, to their impending death. Um, the congressman who died, Leah Ryan, his daughter actually joined the Rajneesh movement. Oh, and I know that cult. Yes. His own daughter joined after his dad went to go save americans she joined a cult as a cult for everyone yeah and i'm like your dad died at the hands of a cult leader and yeah i mean technically at the hands of a cult leader well but like like she joined a fucking cult (laughs) at least she didn't join a death cult yeah and his son ended up joining the CIA. <laughs> and Two different career paths. Yeah, another <laughs> one it was the executive director of California Mental Health Directors Association. <laughs> so well, at least that we know the, the, uh, impacted them in different ways. Yeah, yeah, it's, the, the, yes. Two of them ended up okay. The other one ended up in a cult. Yeah, and it's crazy because one, the the middle daughter, Patricia, she is the president or was she was the president of the board of national cult awareness network <laughs> blimey hilarious insane. i just think that's insane. crazy i just wanted to add that tidbit in because that's, that's a good tidbit yeah. so now we usually like to as you know you listen to an episode we like to depress and talk about something that's not depressing like what we just talked about so <laughs> Uh, Morgan, what, have you watched anything interesting, read anything interesting? What entertainment has been interesting for you lately? I mean, to be honest, it's been Jonestown and, and uh, Ted Bundy. <laughs> 
You know, that's fair. We've uh, we've really been cranking them out lately. <laughs> yeah, so it, it was all murder central for me. Mm-hmm. But I will say that I watched the one, what is it, the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. Yes. Oh, is that I the really... one with Kristen Bell? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I want to watch that. It looks funny. Yeah, oh I haven't God. seen it yet. I was talking to a coworker and she was like, it's not funny to me. None of this is funny. And I was like, it's deadpan humor. Like it's dry humor. Like there's just so much over the top shit and they're being serious about it. Like I'm not going to give anything away because you haven't seen it, but I highly recommend it. And the character uh, that is like her handyman he actually played Edmund Kemper in Mindhunter. One of the best programs I've seen. For like yes. Great. And I, I love David Fincher so much. Oh, yeah. Yes. David Fincher is like my, my visual hero. My oh, visual he's god. Fantastic. Anytime I think of a film like in my head, I just think David Fincher. That's totally. it. Totally. Yes. Yeah, so. uh, he's, yeah, he's masterful. Like the game. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like Seven is like. One oh, of sure. The, Seven's one of my, he's in my top 10 films of all time, but it's oh, like that's, one it's of the most. It's a fantastic movie. That is a great movie. It's one From of the most rewatchable films like I've ever seen. Like, because you always miss bits. Like, Kevin Spacey is in it so much more than you actually think. So, yeah, yeah. Like, he's there in the background in like so many bits that you don't know until you rewatch it. And you're like, it was him all along. Like, they were that close to having him, but he knew that. But they didn't. It's just, yeah, the Seven, you know, Fight Club and everything like that. You know, David Fincher's a, a master. But Mindhunter is such a good program because it's interesting because it's essentially real. You know, it's telling the yeah. real theory, story of uh, of how the terminology of, of and, uh, you know, the psychological um, lookings of, of a serial killer and yeah, how it yeah. came about. Yeah, the evolution of the study behind it and how yeah. it was, like, first received to be, like, crackpot stuff. And then yeah. they're like, oh, shit, it's actually showing results. And I was really looking forward to them introducing BTK because yeah. that was the road they were going to go down. Yeah, yeah. But then they fucking canceled it. So the good news I- is, is that apparently they are going to bring it back. That's yeah, they didn't I cancel it, cancel it. David Fincher was just really busy and didn't have time to pick up yeah. on it right there. David Fincher was too busy like making a coffee that he so he was just like, like I haven't got time for this right now. Yeah, because so, he did Mank. Yeah, yeah I haven't seen Mank yet. I like it. It's I haven't seen it, but I've heard good things. Very I mean, odd. Okay, well I'll watch any movie with fucking that david fincher did you know and the, i mean and fight club's with... literally like one of my top favorite oh, movies yeah fight yes. club like it's it's just it's just every time i watch a david fincher film like you're watching something that not and it, even to this day none of it feels dated like that's what's amazing about it mm-hmm. his movies but i don't know and I, I i'm probably being really weird here but so i remember when we me and my partner were watching mindhunter and we found out that the whole, like, somebody like Charles Manson was going to be in it. Obviously not the Charles Manson, but somebody was going to be portraying him. Yeah. And I was, like, so excited. And it's so weird. <laughs> but I was so excited because it's just, like, because the person who played him, like, the prosthetics they used made him look like you were watching Charles Manson. 
it that's really exactly how I feel with the guy who played Ed Kemper. Yeah, I mean Me he's too. amazing. Like they were so good, like Edward Kemper, and then they obviously the guy that they did the makeup for, like Son of Sam. Yeah. Um, like they were like on point in regards to how they made them look, but it was like. I don't know. It was like, you know, like it was like seeing like a superstar, you know what I mean? Like, but in the worst sense possible. I mean, Absolutely. You know, yeah. It was like when he was there and he just like embodied um, like Charles Manson as a person. You genuinely thought that you were watching him. And I suppose that's just the magic of David Fincher. Yeah, it was. I was just like, holy shit, because I, yeah. I, I got the same feeling, too. And I was like, why am I so excited about Yeah, I know. It's weird, isn't it? <laughs> it's so weird. And I felt really wrong, like, because I was just like, I shouldn't be excited about this. Like, how fucking weird am I? But, like, me and my partner were both sitting there, like, and I was sweating. And I was just like, this is fucking insane. Yeah. Um, he so does good. such a fucking good job. Yeah. And, like, the way he carries himself, too, and, like, pulls up yeah. the chair, and he always oh, wants to yeah. sit above everybody. So, mm. like, sitting yeah. higher than them and then asking for cigarettes. <laughs> it's like, that's what uh, you do, man. And the, and the guy that yeah. played him, the guy that played him, I think he was the same guy that played him in the Quentin Tarantino one as well. He was. He was. Same Is that guy. right? Yeah. I yeah. Think so. But oh, he really? Looked, yeah, but he yeah, looked and, so uh, much more like him in um, Mindhunter. Yeah. Oh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's yeah, right. That's, that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Because he was so good in, um, in Mindhunter that Tarantino cast him again. That's it. He, he's, yeah. he will forever be casted as Charles Manson and no one else. <laughs> yeah. He did a really, really great, he great did. job. So, uh, BP, what have you watched recently that was interesting to you? Um, I don't know. It's just horror films. <laughs> that, that's pretty much my life. Like, well, sure, I, but like, what's a horror film that you watched recently that you really enjoyed? Well, do you know what? I've been so Psycho Gorman. I watch all the time because really, yeah. I don't know if have you seen it. I've seen it. It's on Shutter. Psycho. So, Gorman? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Psycho Gorman. It's just like I feel like it's the type of film like you know that's you know with everything that's gone on and everything and and we get so many horror films that are so bogged down in being like so serious like it's there's so much serious horrors at the moment that like psycho gorman is the absolute opposite of that yeah so that's true so i end up and i you know because it's like it's all the special effects and all that sort of stuff. It's one of those films where, like, even ever, you know, even since I was a kid, one of the biggest, you know, draws for horrors for me is like, you know, the visual aspect of it and the special effects and sure. all of that is so integral to. So, so ex- I'm sorry. So, explain it to the audience what Psycho Gorman is, and to me too, <laughs> and right, to Morgan. So, so Psycho Gorman uh, is essentially uh, about um there's i have to think about it now and this is what's bad because i've seen it so many times but you ask me about anything <laughs> and i won't be able to tell you but it's essentially about this this alien being essentially from like he's like he basically goes around like killing people in different galaxies and world like he's the like the world destroyer i can't remember they give him a specific name in it and i can't remember what it is but it's hilarious and he ends up um Basically, they lock him away and so on in this, like, pink gem thing. By the way, I will not sell this film very well. So, <laughs> so make sure, just go and see the trailer, um, and then you'll figure out what it actually is. But um, anyway, so there's these two kids. They find this pink sort of neon gem, 
um, and they end up like sort of, you know, he comes out of it. He's alive. They, he turns around and saying, like, I'm going to kill you. But they can't, he can't because they essentially have the power over him. Um, and, yeah, it's it's just a weird, weird film. It's got a really weird sense of humour. Um, it's a bit sort of like, um, there's, a, there's another film. It's a bit like Turbo Kid. I was thinking that it reminded me of Turbo yeah. Kid a bit. It's a bit like that where... Um, where it's that got sort of that sense of humor and that sort of level of gore and special effects once again. It's a very special effects, heaven heavy driven movie. Um, but it's just, it's just fun. It's a monster movie, but it's yeah. also like one of those magical kind of coming of age kids yeah. films. Yeah, and <laughs> it's and a lot at like, once. Yeah, it's it's so much fun. So I tend to watch that a lot because. Every time I watch it, I laugh. Like, all the characters in it are so funny. You've got, like, a dad who's, like, a, a lazy idiot who's, like, a proper wimp. You've got um, the kids and, like, the um, the main um, kid in it who's, like, I, can't, I can never remember her name, but she's, like, an absolute jerk to her brother in it who, like, essentially at the start they play a game um, where she ends up burying him alive. Um <laughs> It's such, a, it's such a fun <laughs> film, so weird, but I recommend that massively if, um, you know, you want to watch a film that's weird and, and doesn't really make much sense, but it, it sort of makes yeah. sense in a way. Other than that, I have literally mostly immersed myself in preparing for, for this. Um, oh, excellent. And, uh, yeah, right. that's pretty much it. So I finished station 11 did i say that i finished station 11 in our last episode morgan no i didn't um so i started and finished station 11 which is on hbo and it's like this post-apocalyptic uh tv show it takes basically a flu that is way worse than covid because it kills 99 percent of people who transmit it yeah yeah, it, it re- basically wipes out most of people. And there's only just the people who didn't get it that basically survive. And it follows them, but it also follows their journey prior. It goes back and it skips back and forth in time. And a lot of the characters are all kind of interconnected. And then in the current times where it's like 25 years after is when the... Uh, thing hits just like where it basically hit in america but it follows this like traveling shakespearean troop what i get yeah so basically it's like the it's troop like post-apocalyptic yeah so it's this troop of actors that like walk around and they've got like horses and carriages and they're just traveling in a big wheel circle of this city to this city to this city touring doing Shakespeare because there's not TV or shit like that anymore there and this takes place in Michigan it's hard to explain because there's so much that happens and there's so much backstory but it's really really interesting and sad and it's about love and loss and I just can't recommend it enough. Like, there's this one scene, and when you watch it, if you know me, you'll know what scene made me ball like a baby for, like, 30 minutes, but, uh... Oh, does the animal die? It's not an animal. Okay. It's... it's no spoil... No, you don't have I'm to not gonna, I'm not gonna spoil it. You'll... You personally will definitely get it when you see it. Why I cried. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but it, it was a real. It was really good. I don't um, even know why I'm sad. I'm sad about something, but I'm sad for <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm just sad a- because somebody mentioned like a dog dying, and that was it. <laughs> I mean, we do always warn our listeners if the dog dies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like or it. any animal dies, we give so you a heads watch, up. There's a film I watched the other day called Benny Loves You. And uh, look that up because the story behind the film is so interesting because it's literally all made by one person. But there is. <laughs> that's there is the a, one that I commented on that was yeah, like that's a puppet. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there, there's a dog death in that. And let's just say oh. that that's pretty much like the whole film. Oh, fuck. Um, yeah. <laughs> so like the whole thing but it's done in like a comedic way but then at the same time you're like just just you don't have to kill dogs <laughs> why are you killing them? why do you have to do it look at their little faces yeah. <laughs> uh i also recently i th- yeah it was yesterday yesterday mark and i started yellow jackets on showtime mm. Yeah, Morgan, that's on the list. Yeah, Morgan, do you know anything about Yellow Jackets? Yes, but I have not started. I really want to watch it, though. Yeah. I I literally got the Showtime 30-day trial to watch the show. Because all the episodes it. are... Yeah, I'm going to binge it. All the episodes are out now. Yeah, I've watched the first two. But if you don't know what it's about, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Because this I just is know liter- it's got like, a proper good cast, like Christina Ricci. Yeah. Juliette Lewis. Juliette Lewis, yeah. And yeah, Melanie Linsky, who was in Heavenly Creatures, which is what our second episode is about. Yeah. <laughs> our second episode ever, which I just re- recently remastered about a and, month ago. And she's in Castle Rock. Which she is in Castle Rock as well. That is true. And she was Charlie Sheen's stalker on Two and a Half Men. Oh. <laughs> God, I can't believe that show. Oh, that tiger blood everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, all right, guys. This was a lot of fun. We'll have a new episode out next month after this one. And uh, it's a big surprise because I don't want anyone else to do it before we do. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, but it's a really fun deep cut of a horror film that I feel like you'll appreciate if you're a true horror fan. So stay tuned in March for that. Absolutely. Do you, would you like to plug your podcast, though, before we leave? Well, I didn't do very well at plugging Psycho Gorman very well, did I? Um, <laughs> Hopefully you do better something that you record. Yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, so Let's Talk Horror, like the channel and stuff, obviously it started as a podcast during lockdown when everybody was going fucking crazy and um, I needed something that was, create, you know, helping my creative juices and so on. So I started a podcast because I was like, well, I like horror films quite a lot. And I'd rather, you know, be able to talk to people about them. And I sort of created it so I can have conversations with people like yourself and, and everybody ar- around the world about horror. But um, it turned into a podcast where I get to talk about my favourite things of, of the horror genre. And, and it's still going and I'm still here. <laughs> Excellent. Nice. I love it. I, I genuinely love doing the podcast and I hope that I get to keep doing it. I would love, love to be able to do more than one a month. Um, but because I most of the time am hiding from a child that's trying to murder me, um, <laughs> you know, and plotting, plotting against, uh, uh, you know, against my life most of the time that I have to keep myself on my toes. So, um, you know, and then there's work and life in general. But 
totally get it. We only do two a month. Yeah, exactly. So, but, you know, going forward, I, I hope we just, um, on the Lost Boys one was the first time we ever had a guest on the podcast because I finally figured out how to do it because <laughs> 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 so, I'm so bad at this. But yeah, it's, I really enjoyed it. It was great to be able to have somebody else to talk to. And it's been amazing doing this because I get to speak to other amazing people who know more than what I do about cool things. Yeah. And yeah, so hopefully, fingers crossed, I can do more. Yeah, I get yes. that. It was difficult to start, but it's always been fun for me because, I mean, I love horror. I really, really love, um, like, true crime. Yeah. Um, and Anna is, like, the biggest horror buff out of us for sure mm. so it's been exciting like you know learning about new crimes or watching really obscure horror movies that are only available in other countries and stuff so that's been <laughs> like a really cool journey is to watch these movies like Anna's probably seen most of them at least once or twice and a lot of these are like new for me so it's 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 just a cool journey and you we've met a lot of people that are really yeah. really amazing yeah yeah was... and we've got listeners like all over the world in 48 different countries that's fucking bananas yeah it's insane like the the, the thought that you know I'm, I'm being able to have conversations with you know you guys and 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 other people all around the world um about something that i love um rather totally. than just talking to you know, my mate about it, and then him going, oh, you're talking about horror movies again, and I'm like, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I had to catch myself <laughs> last night with my coworker. I was just talking about Ted Bundy, and I went on this yeah. long spiel, and then I was like, wait, how long have I been talking about Ted Bundy? Because I fucking hate him, and she was like, a good, like, 20 minutes, and I was like, yeah. all right, I'll uh, Do you know what? It's so, ba- it's so bad that, like, when, where I used to work, that it was known that, like, if you wanted to know anything about serial killers, then go and speak to Brett. Like, <laughs> that was you want to know about horror movies and serial killers, go and speak to Brett. I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. Like, oh. <laughs> you know, I'm Zach I'm Morris. Here. It's girl. okay. We're uh, we're the we're those people. Absolutely. We built yeah. we built a whole show on it. That's it. Yeah, That's and it. I I have a sticker on my water bottle that I bring to work. I, I'm a nurse, so we, I just have to bring my water bottle with all my stickers on it. And it, it's a picture of Jeff. Oh Dahmer? shit! I just yes, it's Jeffrey Dahmer, but it's Jeff Boyardee. <laughs> instead of chef. yeah yeah instead yeah. of chef boyardee and that's on that's on my water bottle so i get a lot of comments i'm like yeah, yeah. Just, just yeah it is what you think I bet it you is. do <laughs> i bet you do <laughs> one of my uh old secret santa presents was a color uh ted bundy book and i was like when did it get to this like, <laughs> I was like when did i become this person oh. I low-key want one of those vintage shirts that people made right yeah, before yeah, he got ex yeah. right before he got executed. Those yeah, ones, I, yeah. Yeah, I want one of those. But you just feel bad wearing it, don't you? <laughs> no. No. I, I mean it's advocating killing him and he's already well, dead. Yeah, I, I don't give a shit. Uh, and, yeah. and he's and he's a piece of shit. So I don't he's care. A piece of shit. And yeah, it's a it. nice conversation starter. And Absolutely. also, and I, as I'm on here, I do want to say one thing, if that's okay, about the whole Ted Bundy thing and anything serial killer wise. We need to fucking stop doing everything that's sexualizing serial killers. 
Because exactly. They are not I'm fucking, sexy. I'm fucking sick of it because, I, like, I, I watched the you know the the Ted Bundy movie you know with Zac Efron and that, and I, I Zac Efron for me is like the perfect casting for Ted Bundy. Um, he does I think look a he, lot like him. I think he looks, you know, way enough like him to portray him. And he's a really decent actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but that film, for me, the film itself was trash. But it, Well, you it, heard what we had to say about it. Yeah, <laughs> it was just... But the problem is, is all they did throughout the whole film was essentially sexualise Ted Bundy. Because it was Zac Efron, and because mm-hmm. he could get his ass out, um, like, that was it. And, and this is what is happening. And, you know we shouldn't be thinking about that's what we should, we should be doing with these people who are the atrocities of life. You know, these are the nastiest people that have put down in history and you want to do this sort of stuff. No, fuck off. Just leave them where they are and let them burn. Yeah. Well, at least we haven't had centerfolds of Hitler yet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Let's hope not. Let's hope not. Or, and yeah. on that note, I think we're going to bail. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank See you, you next... so much. Uh, thank yes. you for having Yeah, thank you for being here. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, yeah, we enjoyed having you. And we I've will learned. see you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you guys in March. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.